Word up. Cash take you on the national joint. Cream, get the here money. Here we go. Dollar Check dollar this bill, shit. Yeah. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. Had second hands. Moms bounced on. How about a little Wu Tang? For your Wednesday, I kind of got that one from David Grubb, the New Orleans radio host. He does Wu-Tang Wednesday, and I'm kind of taking that from him. I'm Andrew Sharon. Welcome to the Four Downs Fantasy Football Podcast. And joining me tonight is Scott Smith. You can follow him at SSmithFF on Twitter. Scott, it's time, man. Have you gotten any uh, fantasy drafts done yet? Uh, I've gotten a couple done, but uh, most of them are not mine. They're actually guys that I'm helping as a part of Draft Day Consultants. You can uh, actually go sign up and have me and one of the uh, any one of the other professionals over there help you with your draft. Just go to DraftDayConsultants.com. Hit us up. We'll do a pre-draft consultation. Or if you need us to draft for you, we'll do that too. I'm pretty pumped up. My first uh, draft... For me, is actually going to be Friday. It's my uh, home league that I've been in for 20-plus years. Unfortunately, it's not my favorite setup because it's a standard league and they're traditionalists. But, yeah, I'm pumped up and uh, watching some of these ADPs move. Yeah, the ADPs are flying up. And, you know, you bring that up, Scott, and we're just going to jump right into it. we got a long show today, guys. We're going to be reviewing wide receivers 35 to number one. But, look, we're going to get started with some news. And speaking of preseason, Scott, you're mentioning – um, just all these guys who are rising, and Damian Williams with the Chiefs, we saw him on Sunday night, he got his first team work, no other running backs worked with him, he got all the touches, and looked pretty productive, you know, were, were you uh, pleased with what you saw out of Damian Williams? Look, I, it's been no secret, I haven't been on Damian Williams' hype train, you know, all offseason, if he's going to be the number one guy there in, in the Chiefs, there is the opportunity for him to to be one of these big breakout candidates and, and be very much worth where he's being drafted in ADP. My big discretion comes is that there is some caution tape there and some things that you have to kind of overlook as far as his production history and his career. But I think our big issue back and forth between me and you was your ranking of Carlos Hyde as a, a RB36. So with that that being said and that production that you saw in this past preseason game, are you kind of backing off a of Hyde now? Um, You know, I'm a little nervous. I think, um, you know, when you look at it, I, I think uh, Hyde fumbled. That doesn't look good. Darwin Thompson looks phenomenal. But I think, um, you know, my thing about Hyde is I'm just getting a little bit more scared of uh, – who's at Daryl Williams, the LSU product. Um, you know, I'm worried about him making the team. So I'm a little nervous about Hyde, but I don't think Damian Williams Williams really affects that. I mean, I'm still going to stand on the hill of they're going to have a goal line back there and they're going to rotate someone like that in. But, I mean, look, I mean, the fact of the matter is Damian Williams looked awesome. Um, I'm kind of happy to see it. But, again, it's a, it's a grueling 16-week schedule, and I think we uh, kind of hope that he can stay healthy for those. Now, kind of looking into another running back, Darius Geis. You mentioned kind of the Band-Aids for Damian Williams. How about the Band-Aids for Darius Geis? You know, there's a lot of concern out in Washington with the um, the professionalism of their trainers over there. Scott, do you have any hope for Darius Geis to, uh, to, to kind of regain his, uh, you know, draft lore of last year? For me, I just want to see it first, you know, as far as trying to invest and feel comfortable with where Darius Geis is at, I'm just not comfortable that that offensive line is probably going to be a wreck without Trent Williams. The offense is going to have issues. It's probably going to be rotating quarterbacks for most of the year until they decide to cut the cord on the, on Case Keenum and just give uh, Haskins the reign. So it's just not an offense I'm 
comfortable with. I've talked about it in the past. You've got Adrian Peterson there who has got some financial issues, so he's paying, playing for a paycheck. And I think uh, when it comes down to it, Chris Thompson's going to get a lot of those, those receptions. But, hey, I'm excited to see the LSU product go ahead and, and, and put on the uniform again and actually get some playing time. And the, the limited time he got, he looked like Beast Mode version 2.0 last year. So I'm excited for the LSU product, and I want to see what he can do. I'm just not willing to invest in him for this season. There's no denying Darius Geis' talent. I just, you know, I, th- I think, you know, like like everyone else, we're just hoping that he can stay healthy and get on the field. I mean, the big thing with Geis that I'm worried about is strictly Adrian Peterson. I mean, you look at how AP runs, and I think they're the same guy. So I'm a little concerned about Geis' kind of redraft value this year, but it's definitely something to key, on, key in on. And now to another running back who kind of runs like an Adrian Peterson type Ezekiel Elliott, you know, um, take a listen, guys, this comment made by Jerry Jones when asked in the media if Tony Pollard is helping his side of negotiations with Zeke. Is Pollard your best negotiator with Zeke? Who? Pollard. Zeke who? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, so Zeke who, um, Scott, do you do you kind of take any anything here with this comment? Because. What I found interesting is, you know, we hear the comment and it's kind of like, okay, Jerry Jones made another stupid ass comment. But then you hear Zeke's agent who made it a point to come out and say, you know, we found this disrespectful as hell. See, do you kind of, are you, are you weighing this at all? Or are you just kind of assuming Zeke doesn't care? For me, it's just negotiating tactics and ploys on both sides. I mean, we just had reports a week ago that Zeke, while he's down in, in Cabo and Mexico, training that oh he's in the best shape of his career he's lighter than as than what he was his his rookie year so you're gonna hear things back and forth from both sides it's just negotiating in the media to me I don't think Jerry Jones has any semblance that Tony Pollard is able to replace what, what Zeke comes to to offer but I think when you start looking at production one of the things that I'd be more concerned about from the Zeke side of things is the the big check that uh, an extension that that they signed Jalen Smith to today. So that's a hefty price for a linebacker. It's top five pay for a linebacker in the league. And then you start looking at Amari Cooper and you start looking at Dak Prescott and one of these guys isn't going to be get, be able to get paid. I just don't see how they have enough money to pay all of them as top five players, which is what they're all going for. I mean, it's ridiculous to me that Dak's looking for 40 million. So it, it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And, and for me, I'm, I'm keeping Zeke where he's at. You know, I have him at, at running back four. And I think when you start looking at it, the price you get for either Tony Pollard or Alfred Morris, it's basically free. So you can get that handcuff if you're concerned about it. I actually still think that he's going to he's gonna be there week one. I have a draft coming up Friday. I pick six, which I've been kind of stressing over because I really want Zeke. If Zeke drops to that six spot, I have no problems taking him, even if he hasn't reported. So, like, I mean, at what point do you kind of start lowering him more? I mean, do we just does – does another week have to go by? Because if he's not playing by week three, Scott, I feel like you have to consider that because, you know, I was the same guy last year saying, okay, Le'Veon's going to definitely come back, and look, he never came back. I think you just have to be willing to reach a little higher for uh, the handcuff and another guy. I think when you start getting a discount – and I think whenever those those game checks start missing, players are going to come come back. I know we did say that with Le'Veon Bell last year, but I think the NFL insiders and media 
kind of gave us some bad info because we were under the impression that that Le'Veon had to come back in order to get his 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 year to accrue free agency and, and get past that. And as it turned out, in the middle of the season, we end up getting rumors that no, he doesn't. So that was where some of that issue is. I think Zeke's in a completely different situation from what Le'Veon is. So all in all, I don't think he's going to be able to hold out the same way Le'Veon did. So moving to a wide receiver who, you know, speaking of Zeke, he was a first-round pick. Back in the early days of that PPR run, you know, we saw Demarius Thomas go off the board in uh, first rounds of draft. So Demarius Thomas now with the Patriots, he is going to be taking off the pup list. Um, Scott, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Is there any value of Demarius Thomas late in PPR drafts? You know, I think the bigger news is Josh Gordon coming back, and I think that affects Demarius Thomas in the fact that It'll allow Bill Belichick and the Patriots to kind of bring Demarius Thomas along a little bit more slowly rather than have him rush back and and absolutely need the production that that he was going to bring. With that being said, I'm not drafting any of Demarius Thomas. He looked run down these last couple of years. And with, with Josh Gordon on board, as long as Josh Gordon's there, I know we'll talk about him a little bit later in our rankings, but that's the guy I want to invest in. We've seen Josh Gordon do it. All offseason, he's been training with uh, Tom Brady. So you start looking at some of the keys and some of the clues that have been going on. Initially, they went ahead and gave him Keel Harry his number. They took it back. And I think with this whole progression of things that is going on, the, the arrow's pointing up towards Josh Gordon. And the Patriots and the way they've acted towards this situation, giving him the the option and, and picking it up. And just with this whole situation, him coming back. I think there's a lot there, momentum going, you know, Gronk's going. A lot of things are are flowing in Gordon's direction and that, making the arrow point up. So he's the guy I'm looking to invest in rather than Demarius Thomas. Do you want to go ahead and get this knocked out right now, Scott? I mean, I kind of have it down in this news part of Josh Gordon's reinstatement. And you kind of led me right into it. Um, you know, what are you looking at for Gordon this year? Because, you know, I, I know you're a little bit different um, in your ranking of him than I am. I have I'm gonna put him around 36 for now, um, and I think you know my rankings move all the way up to the start of the year. But right now I have him around 36. Um, you know, what are your opinions on Josh Gordon? You know, what fantasy production can you know he bring? You know, we saw last year about 11 fantasy points per game. I think he had around 700 yards. Um, you know, he he looked he looks fine. I mean, he didn't look great, um, but you know, he 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 was a serviceable, startable fantasy wide receiver. What are you thinking of Gordon? You think he can just come in and be a big part of the offense? I absolutely do. And I think when you look at the efficiency he had, let's let's keep in mind, he didn't have a training camp last year. He he didn't come in and, and get all the time in offense. He basically just picked up middle of the season and started playing. So when you start looking at things from an efficiency standpoint, his yards per reception were at 18, which was third among the all qualifying wide receivers. Yards per target, 10.4, ranked ninth. So, and then when you start looking at average target distance, 15.5 yards down the field, and getting those air those air yards and, and whatnot, I think he it's pretty clear it's going to be the closest thing that he's had towards Randy Moss. I'm not saying he's going to be Randy Moss, but I think you can see the upside of what he had with, with Brady back in the day. And I think Josh Gordon, a full year with no Gronk, and having – Edelman and James White working that underneath. I think it's going to be a big year for Gordon down the field. Do you think, I mean, I know we see this with 
New England wide receivers and not only just wide receivers, but really running backs as well. Um, do you think Gordon is really someone who you can trust on a week to week basis? I mean, I know last year he had some interesting weeks. You know, you see five catches for 130 yards against Green Bay, four catches for 81. Do you think or like like do you think he's he's trustable or do you just think that's the player he is? Someone who's going to average 16 to 18 um, yards per catch. My concern comes more with the the drug issues and the suspension issues that that he's had. If he's on the field, I don't want to rely on him as my wide receiver one or wide receiver two. I'm looking at him as more of an upside, high upside flex play. So if that's the case, I'm more than comfortable throwing him in a lineup as as my first or second flex. Um, and then you know, in bye weeks, he might end up catapulting to to a wide receiver too. But I think you look at the connection he had with Brady, especially on the deep ball and in that offense. And I think he has the the upside there to have those weeks where you're going to see 130 yards with two touchdowns. And you're going to see the big plays that, that put you over the top and lead you to a win that week. Josh Gordon finishes wide receiver number 47 last year and just 12 games played. No training camp, as Scott mentioned. So the upside is definitely there now from a wide receiver who has had off the field issues to a wide receiver who seems to have on the field issues nonstop. Antonio Brown, Scott, today, John Gruden came out and made some comments that seemed encouraging to me. I don't know how you took them. Uh, Gruden kind of came out and said, look, the guy's passionate, whatever. But what stuck out to me is he said his feet are healthy. He's good with his new helmet and he's ready to go. So, you know, what are your opinions of Antonio Brown? I, I, I currently have him ninth at wide receiver. Um, Scott, what is, what is your take of Antonio Brown? Do you just not want him because he's crazy, or do you think he can still produce at wide receiver one uh, level? I think more than the off-field concerns is that you start looking at what he's done on the field lately, and his production's kind of been on a decline. He's still one of the elite wide receivers, but with the off-the-field stuff, Switching teams, new offense, like it or not, it's a downgrade at quarterback going from Ben Roethlisberger to to Carr. So I think a lot of those things have the arrow pointing down for Antonio Brown. With the off-field stuff and especially this helmet issue that can't seem to be worked out, there's just a lot of baggage there and a lot of red tape. If the season ends and Antonio Brown's outside of the top 25 wide receivers, I don't think anybody would call it a surprise. I think you can sit there and say that the signs were there if that ends up happening. So for that reason, I'm still going to have him ranked as my wide receiver nine. It's just not a guy that I'm willing to go ahead and invest in and feel comfortable with, even with his past production. I think you have to to read between the lines and see some of the caution that's there. And if I can get him at a value, that's a different story. But at ADP, I'm probably passing at this point. Six straight seasons of 100-plus catches and 1,200 yards. And that includes a 2014 campaign that saw him get 130 catches for 1,700 yards and a 2015 that had him get 136 and 1,800. The, the guy is he's a, he's a maniac and he's crazy, but this is one of the best wide receivers we've seen in the NFL, like it or not, in, in history. I mean, he's going to go down as, as one of the better wide receivers we've seen. And I think that's just something for people to note. I'm right there with you. I have him at wide receiver nine, and I think there's a possibility we're going to get to it later, so I won't say too much, but I think there's a possibility that the dude, as as you mentioned, he could implode, but I also feel like it's possible that he could explode, just just being that he's one of the 
the only weapons on that team. I know, I know you got Tyra Williams, you got Josh Jacobs, but Antonio Brown could just own that offense if he's healthy and right. So we're going to kind of look to that. So speaking along those lines, Scott, we're going to go into our strategies for wide receivers. Um, you know, I know we talked about zero RB in the RB show. Now we're talking about a wide receiver draft strategy. Are you okay with kind of the wide receiver, wide receiver starts, or it just depends where you pick? Because I'm a big fan of wide receiver, wide receiver. Um, I'm not going to kind of stick myself to that. I'm always the one who in the first few rounds, I think you need to look at value and who falls to you. I think you kind of just go best player available in the first three rounds. So are you you more inclined this year to go wide receiver, wide receiver with some of these middle guys kind of looking like they're just kind of cemented in their, you know, middle ground roles? I like going wide receiver, wide receiver if it's late in a draft. Draft, but I think more than any other year this year, you have to be flexible. I don't think it, this is a year to to be strictly rigid with where you're at in in the draft. I think if you're drafting the first three or the four picks, you have to go with those stud running backs because there is a big drop off and difference between the guys that come after them. A lot of guys have a few red flags here and there that make them not in that tier. But when it comes down to it, and you start getting to the Le'Veon Bells and the, the Connor. James Conner, who had a little bit of a fall off last year towards the end of the year. And some of these other guys, you have to worry about, you know, Kareem Hunt coming back with Chubb. You, you've got the injury history there with Dalvin. I think when you start looking at those guys, you just feel a little bit more comfortable with the wide receiver talent that's there. I mean, when you can go with a, a fired up, motivated Odell Beckham, a more than consistent playmaker there with Michael Thomas when you can get a Juju who's going to have all the opportunity in the world it, it's it's a comforting feeling to to come away with two guys that you think have you know both the upside and the floor as far as wide receiver goes and it, it's an easy strategy you know the the issue ends up coming is how comfortable you're going to be with your running backs but I think there in the third round if that's where you want to go ahead and, and peg one of these running backs you, you have some Leonard Fournette's and some other guys like that that are dropping down and then you've got guys like Chris Carson that are actually moving up and you know supposedly he's going to get some more receiving work there in Seattle which is also a run heavy offense so I, I think you just kind of have to see how the draft works out, let it come to you, and, and see where your comfort level lies with who's falling to you. So that's what Scott's got to say on that. Um, you know, I kind of agree. I think it's hard to stick yourself to, to one draft strategy, but look, I'm still going to echo it. I really love these wide receivers. I hate these middle ground wide receivers. And let's kind of get right into it. Let's talk about these middle ground of wide receivers. I know there's a few we like, but there's also a lot more that we kind of just feel like or – are cemented into their spot. So we're going to start off with wide receiver number 35, and this is our cumulative rankings. This is including including Kilby, who's not on the show tonight, but Kilby, we're holding it down for you, man. Robbie Anderson at number 35 for us. D.D. Westbrook at number 34. Corey Davis at number 33. Number 32 will be Will Fuller. Number 31, Christian Kirk. Number 30, Sammy Watkins, who we're going to get to. I have him at 23. Scott's got him at 34. Then number 29, Mike Williams out in Los Angeles. Number 28, Alshon Jeffrey. Number 27, Allen Robinson. That's Scott's guy this year, it seems like. Tyler Lockett at 26 and Cooper Cup at 25, rounding out that little group. So, Scott, let's start here. Let's start at the bottom. Um, We're not going to go to these guys individually, but I'm just going to start at the bottom because I see you have Robbie Anderson at 37. I've got him at 30. I loved what we saw out of him last year at the end of last year. I think he's a talented guy, you know, We've seen the off-the-field off concerns, but we've also seen him 
be a really good deep threat, and we saw him kind of break out at the end of last year, and he really carried me through the playoffs. Scott, why are you down on Robbie Anderson? Is it the Jamison Crowder, Le'Veon Bell editions, or you know Adam Gase? What is it? I just don't see Robbie Anderson as an alpha, and I think that's what that offense is going to be missing, along with the offensive line problems that they have. A lot of people are expecting a, a sophomore breakout from uh, Sam Darnold and him to take that step up, and Le'Veon's going to demand some attention. So, if they can start working some play action and, and use Robbie Anderson's uh, speed deep, I can see him having it. But I, I just think when you start looking at it, I think Jamison Crowder is going to be the guy that gets uh, most of the attention in that offense. I, I think he's a, an above-average slot, and there's been whispers out of uh, the New York Jets media that. You know, Jameson Crowder could have probably could maybe possibly within this offense approach a uh, hundred targets and and have that that seventy five plus catch upside. Um, Two thousand seventeen was really Robbie Anderson's best season. He had one hundred and fourteen targets with sixty three receptions, just shy of a thousand yards. I, I think the other thing that we have to look at, I think he can come out early in the season, but. Chris Herndon's a guy that we both like, especially late with with that suspension. I think when he comes back, I think you're going to see Herndon and Crowder working more of that middle of the field. And I just don't know if the targets are going to be there for Anderson to be a true alpha and move up anywhere past that that wide receiver three to fringe wide receiver two range. So I kind of have him right there at that 37, 36 range. And I could see him moving up over a couple of guys if if things break the right way. But I'm kind of comfortable where he's at because I think his upside's a little bit capped. I can see I I can see a capped upside for Anderson. I just you know I just I was really impressed with what I saw and I feel like you know it was something that we've heard from of Robbie Anderson. You know that he was a guy who could really you know find his potential and I think you know towards the end of last year the guy put up wide receiver one numbers in those in those week 15 and 16 matchups where you needed it most. I mean that was seven catches for a hundred. Nine catches for 140 against Green Bay, if you guys remember that game. That won, that won me a championship game. So I was super impressed with Robbie Anderson last year. And I just feel like Sam Arnold, uh, Sam Arnold, Sam Darnold built a kind of rapport with him. And, you know, we kind of saw it, um, you know, kind of firsthand against the Falcons in week two of the preseason. Robbie Anderson had a few nice catches. I think he had two for two for 30 on that first drive. So Robbie Anderson, someone, you know, I kind of like, I mean, again, it's that wide receiver 30 range. Uh, Scott, you got him at 37. So kind of that middle ground of flex options. Um, let's scroll down to D.D. Westbrook, Scott. We're going to briefly touch on him. We both like D.D. Um, originally, I think you had him the highest, but I kind of reevaluated my rankings. And I really moved him up because D.D. Westbrook is glowing in camp, according to reports. We've heard the, D, uh, the DJ Chark talk. But we've heard a lot from Westbrook. Westbrook even made a comment today saying that, you know, he loves Blake Bortles, but it's just night and day with someone like Nick Foles out there throwing him the ball. Scott, do you think D.D. Westbrook is going to be this underneath slot guy who in PPR could just be be a steady flex play? You know, where do you have him ranked? I have him right there. You know, the thing I like about D.D. Westbrook is you start looking at John Filippo coming over from Minnesota and how specifically – John Filippo used Stefan Diggs. Now, I'm not saying that D.D. Westbrook is going to be Stefan Diggs, but we're talking about a guy that finished as a runner-up in a Heisman and is one of the all-time leading receivers there in Oklahoma. So he's definitely got the talent. Playing with Blake Bortles isn't going to accentuate that talent because Bortles is just a, a train wreck as far as trying to put the ball anywhere accurately. So I think... 
especially with Nick Foles and the, the way you saw him operate there in, in Philadelphia and turn in a guy like Nelson Aguilar and, and really get him the ball. I think D.D. Westbrook is a much more talented uh, wide receiver, especially athletically compared to uh, Nelson Aguilar. And I just think that the the yards after the catch, something that Aguilar was consistently missing, will be there within this offense. So I, I think targets are going to consistently be funneled to Westbrook. And I think, especially for his ADP, I think he is one of the guys that has a good opportunity to outperform his ADP. So I'm comfortable with the investment there with him. Going from D.D. Westbrook, let's briefly touch on Corey Davis staying in the AFC South. Scott, I have him at 36. You have him at 29. I want to I really talk about our discrepancies because we agree on a lot of guys, but some of these guys we don't agree on, so I, I love to hear it. I'll give you my rebuttal to it is I have Corey Davis at wide receiver 36 because I just do not know how that offense is going to run. You know, we had our debate about, about Derrick Henry. I don't know what Marcus Mariota is going to do. Like, I'm just, I'm really not bought in on the idea of Corey Davis. I loved him coming out of college. You saw a lot of talent. We heard Terrell Owens-like talent. And the guy just hasn't really shown it yet. I just, I don't know whether it's on Mariota or whether it's on Davis, whether it's on that offense. Scott, why should people draft Corey Davis as that third wide receiver on their team? For me, it's two reasons. Even with as much of a shit show as what the Tennessee quarterback situation was last year, I think they fixed that in a sense to where they're not all in on Mariota. So if Mariota doesn't work out, you have Ryan Tannehill sitting there in the wings. And even with as bad as things were last year, Corey Davis still managed to finish as a wide receiver 27 in PPR. So I don't think the situation can be quite as bad as what it is last year. And with Corey Davis still having that type of finish, I I think there's some room for, for some slight upside there. I mean, he's still a guy who performed very well in a lot of the wide receiver models coming out of college. It hasn't been there because of the offensive situation, but if we're sitting here and projecting him as you know the wide receiver 33 in our rankings, I have him at 29. He finished at 27 last year. I think you're going to get what you pay for with Corey Davis this year, and I think there's still some upside built into his possible ceiling if that offense clicks and does better than what it does last year. I don't see much more situational that this Tennessee offense can perform worse than what it did last year. Moving on from Corey Davis. um, You know, I think it's fair points before we move on. I think, you know, you look at someone like Corey Davis and the talent is there, but you know, look, I guess it's just, it's just going to come down to how much hope you have in that offense to really kind of maybe put emphasis on Corey Davis. You know, they brought in uh, AJ Brown. So it's going to be interesting, but Scott, the guy I want to talk about right here. I'm the high one on Sammy Watkins, and I might be too high. I might be the highest in the industry on him. I have him at wide receiver number 23. That would put him as a number two wide receiver in fantasy. We've seen him struggle. We've seen him have issues staying on the field. You know, what's the deal with Sammy Watkins? You do not like him at all. I love him. I think this is a guy who, if he stays on the field in that offense, can just explode. You know, we saw him catch four passes for 114 yards in the AFC Championship game the last time he was on the field. Scott, what is it? Are you just kind of ran out of faith with uh, Sammy Watkins? So for me, it, it just boils down to Sammy Watkins is going to be the third option there in, in Kansas City. There's some other guys that are close within this range. And it's not that I don't like Sammy Watkins. I just think you have to bake in 
the inconsistency and the subpar seasons that he's had over the last couple of years, along with the inability to stay healthy. I think you have to bake that into his ADP and the rankings. The upside is definitely there with that Kansas City offense. But when I start looking at the guys in this range, some of the guys in this range just aren't the third options on their team. We're talking about Allen Robinson and Alshon Jeffrey and, you know, some of these other guys. But with Sammy Watkins, I think the upside's there. He just has to stay healthy within that Kansas City offense. Sammy Watkins last year was kind of all over the place. He had <laughs> he had two games with uh, 19 fantasy points. He had a game with 30. He had a few games with zero and three. So Sammy Watkins, definitely the uh, the poster boy for uh, inconsistency. But now to another guy, uh, Scott, you just mentioned him, Allen Robinson. I have him in the same range as you, around 29. I'm not as high on him um, you know, as you are, you know, going back to our, our early podcast days a few years ago, we were always, we shared a love for Allen Robinson. Scott, has that love returned? You know, what, why are you digging, uh, Allen Robinson? I think this is a bounce back year for Allen Robinson. Last year, he was coming off of the injury. He also was working into a new offense on a different team with a, a relatively young quarterback and, Mitch Trubisky. So I think there was a lot of growing pains last year within that Chicago offense. I think what you're going to see this year after being healthy, you know, full year back off of the surgery and especially what you saw late last year, he started to come on and he's the number one option in this Chicago offense. He's got a 14 touchdown, 1400 yard season, you know, on his resume consistently, when he's been on the field, even with Blake Bortles, he's been able to produce when healthy. So uh, I like the the option that, that you're, you're getting. And I think where he's going right now, he's the, the wide receiver 31 at pick 75 in ADP. So you're talking about a six-round value there. So I, I definitely like that range. I, I think if, if you're getting him for a flex option, a wide receiver three, I think you're going to be happy with what you get out of him. Are you not scared of the fact that, you know, I think it's fair to expect an uptick in targets for uh, Anthony Miller. We saw him get about 55 targets last year. Then add in the fact that Tariq Cohen's going to get his. Are you not scared that A-Rob's going to kind of, in theory, be that number one wide receiver option, but it might be kind of more of a timeshare? No, I'm not concerned with a timeshare at all. Uh, Miller's actually been dealing with injuries even in in training camp throughout right now. So I I like where Allen Robinson's at. And I think when you start looking at that Chicago team and and talking about some insiders, I I actually went and visited Evan Silva up in Chicago, and he's pretty dialed in with the the Chicago Bears and what's going on there. And I I think our viewpoints on Allen Robinson align. So when I have him there backing me up, it makes me feel a little bit better about the opinion and the outlook that I'm going to see from Allen Robinson this year. Now to our last guy in the rankings, who I really want to dispute here, Scott. Um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a dart throw in that Los Angeles Rams uh, wide receiver core. There's three guys who can arguably, in my opinion, finish as top 12 receivers in a PPR league. I think any one of them can finish top 12. I don't know if you agree with me or not. I'm not saying they will, but they totally can. So last year, Cooper Cup went nuts. I mean, he he was on pace for I think 80 and 1200 and 12 touchdowns last year before he tore his ACL. Cooper Cup, you have him as wide receiver 27, which really blows my mind here. Um, I do not, I respectively do not understand how in a PPR league you can have him behind a guy like Tyler Lockett, Alshon Jeffrey. So please defend yourself. Why the Cooper Cup hate? 
So I, I object to using the word hate with Cooper Cup because, as you know, <laughs> in a dynasty league that we play in, I have Cooper Cup. He's he's one of my favorite wide receivers in the NFL. For me, it's just it comes down to a logic standpoint. And when you start looking at it, it's been very few times in the NFL since fantasy stats have really been started keeping track of, of targets and things of that nature. Only once, and it's been with Peyton Manning within the fantasy era, that three wide receivers have finished within the top 24. So when we look at our quarterback rankings and when we look at our wide receiver rankings, essentially we're projecting Jared Goff to be able to support three top 24 wide receivers. Um, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to, to go ahead and project that. Some people think that it, it's absolutely possible, and I'm not saying that it's not possible because – they don't have a lot of targets going elsewhere as far as to the tight ends, you know. So I think there's a there's a possibility there. But if I have to pick which one of those guys between Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods is going to be the guy that's going to fall outside of that top 24, for me it's Cooper Cup and it comes down to the injury. It's less than a year right now. I want to say it's like 10 or 11 months that, that it's been since his injury. And reports are that... He's out there running around faster. He's He looks like he's a stronger route runner. And the work ethic that's being reported out of the L.A. media that's following the Rams says that, that he's the hardest worker on the team. So I hope that all those things are true. I'm just going to err on the side of uh, caution and say that if one of those three guys are going to fall out of the top 24, it's going to be Cup and it's going to be because of injury. I think they may end up pulling the reins back early in the season. And I think he may not be as involved or as focused as they ease him back in and take a little bit cautious with him. So that's my reasoning on having Cooper cup that low, but I think he has the upside. He's somebody I am drafting. I'm, I'm just looking to get a little bit of a discount on him in comparison to some of the other guys in this range. So before, before I start this semi argument, are you kind of just, which I, I can understand this more if this is the case, are you just kind of worried that with the Rams and Sean McVay's history that they may kind of limit Cooper Cup early on? I, I think that's part of it. I, I just, I, I have injury concerns coming back that quick. We just talked about Allen Robinson, who it, it's taken him time to come back from that injury. So when you start factoring these things in, the, the body needs time to heal. And you see athletes coming back and, and recovering from ACLs faster than ever and that's that can very easily be the case with cooper cup i mean we just got into it and we're talking about emmanuel sanders coming back from achilles and he looked great in the preseason game so it can be done but how much strain is is getting put on this this body part that has been put through the ring air both through surgery with the injury and then back through physical therapy to get back to in, in shape to be able to play so I just can. I'm a little bit concerned. I know you uh, check into injuries and and look, you know, with some of the information that Doctor Chow has. I haven't looked it up, but I, I'd I'd love to hear what it has for uh, Cooper Cup and his outlook. But I just have a little bit of injury concern, and I, I bake that injury concern and the speed at which he's coming back from it into my rankings. I think we look last year, Scott, and I think we see Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. Both finishes top 13 wide receivers last year. You know, Woods was around that 11 range. Cooks was number 13 to be exact. I just, I don't see, I, I really, I get your kind of, I, I like looking at the past too. Let me start there. I guess I like understanding and looking and saying, okay, well, 
no quarterback has supported that many top 24 wide receivers. And I get it. But then I look at someone like Jarvis Landry last year. He was wide receiver number 18, and he caught 80 and 904 touchdowns. I think if Cup is third in that pecking order in that offense, I think that's totally obtainable. I mean, I think you see Julian Edelman last year who missed games. He managed to be a top 24 wide receiver. So I just think if they're all healthy, I would just be surprised if all three of them does really doesn't finish top 24. And I think I actually have Robert Woods the uh, the lowest of the group. I mean, I do agree that I actually have him ranked this way. I think none of them will be top 12. I think they're all going to be in that like 17 to 24 range. But I mean, look, I think there's nothing when you look at the the rapport that Cup had with golf. I mean, they looked dialed in uh, last year and they even looked dialed in his rookie year. So I kind of see a guy like that. And I just, man, I would be totally shocked if he doesn't put up if healthy. I mean, let's let's look at ACL injuries. There has not really been a lot of guys who have struggled coming back back from ACL injuries. It's kind of been something that has really become, become a new norm. I think you look at ACL injuries now and the way we look at it now is, you know, shit, they're going to miss a full year of my fantasy season and that kind of screws me. But other than that, I don't see the really the concern. So are you just, I don't know, man, you kind of, I, I just... Man, I'm just lost. I mean, I get it. I get it in standard. I get like having someone like Allen Robinson above him in standard. I really do get that. But I think in PPR, Scott, I mean, you'd have to agree with me. You think? Do you think Cup is a shoe in for 75 plus catches? Yeah, I think he's definitely gonna be in that 75 catch range over there in in, in Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay's offense. And and he look, he's got good efficiency metrics. You know, he's he's. In that 10 to, to 15 range and, and true catch rate and yards per target, yards per route. So, I mean, the efficiency metrics are there. Is he going to get the volume that we need? Or are they going to ease him in? I, I think you have to look at that. Right now, I, I think I have him at, at, what, 29? And he's being drafted as the wide receiver 20, pick 49. So that's that's right there after Chris Godwin. A.J. Green's kind of uh, on the back end of that. The place where I start to get a little bit dicey is I have some Tyler Lockett concerns. Um, but you start looking at it, I kind of consider him and Calvin Ridley to be very similar players. And then you get into some of these other guys, and I'll get into another guy a little bit later that I like more than Cooper Cup that's actually going after Cooper Cup. So I think where I have him, I just have those concerns, and I think that just to throw caution to the wind and saying he's automatically going to be a top 24 receiver is a little bit reckless. Reckless, like thinking Derrick Henry will be a top 20 PPR running back. Let's go to our next little group of wide receivers. We're going to break this up a little bit smaller just so we can talk about a few of them and keep you guys kind of fresh in knowing the list. So AJ Green, number 24 for us. Jarvis Landry, number 23, Kenny Galladay at number 22, Tyler Boyd at number 21, kind of close to A.J. Green right there, 20, uh, D.J. Moore, and number 19, Calvin Ridley. So that little group right there, 24 through 19, Scott, we're going to probably touch on a few of these guys. Let's start with A.J. Green at number 24. You have him the lowest at 31. I have him the highest at 18. I'm kind of in the camp of take him and just wait it out because, you know, I think you can find a PPR option viable of starting for a few weeks. Scott, I saw you drafted him in our mock draft, which we're going to review on Thursday. So are you kind of coming around on A.J. Green? Do you see that upside? 
Well, I see the upside whenever you draft him and you can get him at a value. I thought uh, middle of the sixth round, I think, was kind of where I, I ended up selecting him. I think there's a value there once some of these other wide receivers come off the board. Is he going to miss a game? Possibly. He, I mean, he could miss two or three games. But I think the talent that's there, I think that sixth to seventh round range is, is where you start to really get some value. I think if you can go wide receiver early and, and kind of pile up on some of those those other running backs that, that we talked about, I think there's an option there to to go ahead and get a lot of value out of A.J. Green if he's coming in as your wide receiver three or even a flex play. So I, I think the concerns there with the injury, I mean, look, he's ha- he had surgery. This isn't a... This isn't just a high ankle sprain or something like that. It's something they actually had to go in and do surgery for. Uh, I think it's going to be a stretch to get him to play week one, and I'm hoping they let this thing heal and ride Tyler Boyd for the the time being. And I actually have Tyler Boyd ranked ahead of him, which is something that you do not. So I think that's another interesting player within this range to go ahead and talk about. And Tyler Boyd did not play as well by himself as what he did with AJ Green, but I, I think the just the targets in that offense are gonna have to be funneled through Tyler Boyd. I have him eight picks ahead at at pick twenty three, just because there is, or excuse me, at wide receiver twenty three. I have him there because I think there's some serious concern from a, a games missed. I, I, I expect AJ Green to miss two to three games at the beginning of the season. And I think at the end of the year, the overall rankings are going to reflect that and have AJ Green down in this range. You know, hey, look, I agree, Scott. I think I, I would be, it would be safe to assume that he's going to miss three games. But look, I'm just kind of in the camp of you can replace that value early in the season. I think, you know, uh, this is fantasy football and it's fun to gamble on it. So why not take a chance? So y- you tied in Tyler Boyd perfectly there. Is Tyler Boyd's 23rd ranking, I mean, is that going to hold up assuming A.J. is going to play 12 or 13 healthy games? Well, I mean, we, we talked about it, and last year you saw you saw Tyler Boyd break out. I mean, he had a very productive year, and we start looking at, at some of the games that he had. If A.J. Green comes back, he actually plays better because he's not getting all the coverage and, and getting uh, the top defensive back you know, on him for – for the the most of the game. I mean, he had what one, two, three, like four hundred yard games last year. You saw, you know, solid touchdown production. And when you start looking at, at some things, I mean, a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. That's you know, wide receiver sixteen finished last year. I, I think where we have him is actually discounted him quite a bit compared to you know, what he had with this new offense, I would expect them to do better than what they they have in the past. And, you know, I I like this range for Tyler Boyd. He's going right around that that sixth round. And and he's a guy that I'm actually targeting. You know, if I can get him in that sixth round, I've been kind of getting him along with DJ Moore, you know, in that range. So those are some guys that I'm happy to have on my team as second and third options at the wide receiver. Scott mentioned that about Tyler Boyd, 76 catches, 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. And that was just 14 games last year. So a real phenomenal performance from Boyd. He was going to be a top 12 wide receiver if he plays those last two games, in my opinion. Scott, my last thing on Tyler Boyd, the first two seasons in the NFL, I mean, you know, his rookie year wasn't underwhelming. I mean, it was 50 and 50 and 600. Uh, Second season was kind of interesting to say the least. Are you worried that Boyd had just kind of a, kind of a, uh, a weird season that he could go back to being just an average guy. 
No, I'm not so much concerned about it. We start talking about wide receiver breakouts, and it usually comes in the second or third years when you when you see the big jumps. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, especially when you have a, a offense that's not really clicking and, and kind of on a downswing. But if you look at Tyler Boyd from last year from a production premium, he finished seventh among wide receivers. So I, I think the efficiency is there. I think the the way he's operating in that offense. I mean, you've got a bust there, and and John Ross and and some of these other guys. There's just not a lot of options there. And I think whenever A.J. Green's on the field and can stretch that that seam vertically, I think it, it opens things up for Tyler Boyd to operate out of slot and that's that that medium range. So that's where, where I like him. You know, yards after catch last year, 3.6 per target, 16th according to player profiler. So I, I think there's some, some good things, you know, 19th as far as air yards. So the metrics are there to me. I think the opportunity and efficiency is going to go ahead and merge well. And I think it's going to put him right here in the, in the running to be a, a, a wide receiver too on the end of the year. I've got Tyler Boyd 21st. That's three spots ahead of DJ Moore for me. Scott's got DJ Moore 18th and Tyler Boyd 23rd, so a lot higher on DJ Moore um, is Scott. So, Scott, explain yourself, man. You know, you got this DJ Moore love. You know, we're seeing Curtis Samuel kind of emerge, Cam Newton getting healthy. Talk about DJ Moore. Are you kind of really seeing a breakout form this year? Look, DJ Moore is the guy that I have to come out of drafts with. Uh, if you go look on Rotoviz, there's a lot of DJ Moore love going over on, on Rotoviz. We we talk about DJ Moore coming out as a prospect, and he's one of the top prospects I've seen come out of college. I mean, he was clean athletically at the combine. He had dominant production at, at a young age. There's a there's a uh, there's an article you can go read on Rotoviz that that studies age 21 rookie seasons for wide receivers, and it has a 100% hit rate for wide receivers that have played their age 21 season and have averaged three catches for over 10 games in their rookie year. Like all of them have had wide receiver 24 or higher seasons the following year. I want to say it's like 13 that are, that are in that range that have done it since 2000. So he's a guy I'm high on. You have Curtis Samuel, who's also getting a lot of the hype out there in Carolina, but DJ Moore is a guy that I'm trying to grab everywhere in dynasty leagues and redraft and best ball. If there's, if there's some way I can get my hands on DJ Moore at the right price, I'm getting them. I'm more than happy to have him as a, uh, as a wide receiver too, within any of the teams that I draft, I think the upside's there. And I think he is due for a top 24 season. And I think he has the upside to finish as a top 15 wide receiver. We'll touch on uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the show. Are you worried about the uh, the target share for these guys? I mean, if Curtis Samuel is healthy, it's sounding like there's going to be this uh, three headed monster and more Samuel and McCaffrey uh, all vying for targets. I mean, McCaffrey's going to probably get at least ninety catches, right, Scott? Well, I, I actually think McCaffrey's targets can come down. I think you start looking at Cam's shoulder injury last year, and I think that limited his downfield throwing. I, I think Curtis Samuel is going to operate and function within this offense as the deep threat, and he's going to have some big games. But I think there's going to be a lot of volatility with him on a week-to-week basis. I think when you start talking about the the high-efficiency targets, I think you're going to see that medium range go ahead and, and, and go to DJ Moore. And I think DJ Moore from a yards after catch perspective. And, and I think he's going to be the guy that can go ahead and, and efficient 
numbers on a week-to-week basis and just be more dependable as far as throwing in your lineup. So I think that'll do it for those round of guys. I think we really talked about those those guys in depth. So let's move into, right in here into the uh, the kind of the 18 through 13 range. Number 18, Robert Woods. We just discussed Cooper Cup. I think it's fair to say Scott just really really sees that that more of a rapport with Woods um, and Golf and kind of Cup and that injury. So we kind of hit on that. Chris Godwin, number 17, who seems to be everybody's favorite wide receiver in the fantasy world right now. Number 16, Brandon Cooks. Number 15, Julian Edelman. Number 14, Stephon Diggs. And number 13, his teammate, Adam Thielen. So, Scott, we're going to start right here, right right into the meat of the podcast. He's shooting up draft boards. It makes me depressed. Chris Godwin, Scott. Um, I, I think there's so much we can talk about with Chris Godwin, so I'm going to let you take it first because you've really been the Godwin guy since he came out of college. Talk about Chris, Chris Godwin and how – Top five quarterback Jameis Winston is going to make him a top 12 wide receiver this year. Look, it, it should be criminal the way they used Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay last year. There's no reason that he should be running fourth on that that team behind Adam Humphreys and, and Deshaun Jackson. Um, there's just there's no way. And I, I think when Bruce Arian comes in here, you're going to see Chris Godwin. They're talking about him getting 100 receptions. If you've seen any of the Twitter highlights of him just working over that Miami Dolphins defensive backs, I mean, some of the catches he's making are, are just highlight real catches, you know, toe-tapping in the end zone, one-handed catches, diving catches, working over, separating deep. I, I just think the sky's the limit for Chris Godwin. And, and the, the real problem is, is that he came in outside – of the, the top 24 wide receivers as far as ranking goes early in the offseason, then he's just steadily moved up. And I, I don't think that there's a, a rock on this world that you can go and, and find anybody who's been hiding under that doesn't know about Chris Godwin. So he can't even be considered a, a sleeper. And at this point in time, you really have to wonder, is he being overhyped at this point? I mean, I, I think he's going to do work this year, but at what point is too high to, to draft Chris Godwin? So I, I've been taking him consistently in the in the middle to late fourth round, and I've actually been seeing him go as high as the first pick in the fourth round. So there's a lot of Chris Godwin love out there, and get him while you can. He's he's one of the guys that I have pegged that I'm I'm willing to reach a little bit on because I just think the breakout is is there. It, it's written all over. I think everybody can see it. I personally love Chris Godwin in the fourth. I agree that he's. it sucks that he's shot up that high, but I'm, I'm still going to take him in that range. Scott, a, another question that might be on people's minds, and it really it, it, it kind of came to my mind the other day when I was doing a mock draft, Scott. I, I got Mike Evans um, early in the third round, which I thought was a steal, but kind of on that swing, I actually almost had the option to get, get Chris Godwin, and I obviously didn't get him, but my question to you is, you know, can could we see Jameis Winston support two top 12 wide receivers, because I think we both agree. I mean, you might not agree, but I think Chris Godwin has top 12 potential. Do you think Jameis could support two top 12 wide receivers? We saw Goff pretty much do it last year. The problem with that theory, I don't think, I don't think both of them will finish in, in the top 12. I think that they both have top 15 upside. I think that's where things are. Mike Evans hasn't been the most efficient wide receiver. He's done it a lot on volume, but he's been very consistent throughout the start of his career. So when you start looking at things, who's going to be the guy that, that really kind of tails off. So I, I think 
if Chris Godwin could could manage to to finish in the top twelve, I think that's going to come at the expense of Mike Evans. But either way, I think both of them are values where they're they're being picked. And there's there's even some rumblings out there within the fantasy community that Mike Evans could finish as the wide receiver one in this this Bruce Arians offense and and this year in Tampa. So that's an interesting take that I haven't heard from a lot of people, but. I think there's definitely top 15 upside with these two guys. I mean, I think, look, I think it's so funny because you're starting to see these articles come out to where it's like, yo, like, do not forget about Mike Evans. It's so easy to forget about Mike Evans when you see a guy like Chris Godwin. You know, I'm actually doing a write-up tomorrow for, you know, the fantasy segment I do with David Grubb um, on uh, New Orleans 1280. But it's just like, you know, don't forget about those guys like Mike Evans and Keenan Allen. Like, I, th- I feel like these are older guys who – we're like kind of not really hiking up, hyping up, but it's like, man, like they're, they're still going to produce and they're still alive. They're still there. So Chris Godwin, we love him. Um, you know, I, I'd be shocked if you found anyone like Scott mentioned who doesn't know about Chris Godwin or who doesn't love Chris Godwin. So we're expecting big things from him. Let's go down down the list a little bit. Um, you know, we have Brandon Cooks here. I think it's going to be a crap shooting in Los Angeles. I, I think, you know, we have him 17th, uh, both of us. Kilby's got him 16th. Kind of that range is fair to say, you know, fair to take him. Julian Edelman, I have him 13th, and I was actually inclined to move him to 12th, um, you know, in Adam Thielen's spot. I think Edelman's going to just be a PPR hog. I mean, you know, it's going to be, does he find the end zone, Scott? But, you know, with Gronk on, I feel like there's going to be a lot of targets underneath for uh, James White and Julian Edelman. You have him 15th. You think Julian Edelman's going to be one of the safer picks in uh, PPR drafts? Yeah, I think at this point, you know what you're getting out of Julian Edelman. The big question is, is how much is Josh Gordon being there going to affect the target share that we were originally projecting for Edelman? Um, I, I just think you look at what he's been able to do, and consistently he, he's he's gotten in the 130 target range. Last year, he only played 12 games, but in those 12 games, I mean, he dominated, especially down the stretch. You know, no 100-yard games, but you're talking 12 receptions for 86 yards, 11 receptions for 90 yards, 10 receptions for 70 yards, 6 receptions for 69 yards, but that was in Week 17, so it doesn't really matter. But you get some touchdowns mixed in, and I think Julian Edelman, at this point, you just know what you're getting out of him. So when you, when you start factoring in fantasy points per game and, and whatnot, we know what Julian Edelman is. You know where the floor is. Now, I don't think that you're you're going to get the upside because the touchdowns just aren't there. You know, the most touchdowns he's had in a season receiving was seven. So that's kind of what keeps him from being a top 12 wide receiver for me. So that's where the concern comes. I like the fact that they have Gordon now. It's going to take away a little bit of the target share that we're projecting for Edelman. But I think Gordon being in an offense, being able to work the deep part of the field can open up some things for Edelman. We got Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen back-to-back. I'm almost inclined to say that Diggs is the more talented receiver because, like, you see it on tape, and Diggs is just so fun to watch. He is one of the better route runners in the NFL that people really don't talk about in that respect. But it's like, then you see Adam Thielen make these catches like he did in the preseason against the Saints, like a one-handed catch where he's falling backwards, and it's like, holy shit, Adam Thielen is just is just as good. So... Scott, we have these guys back-to-back. You have Thielen 13 and uh, Diggs 14. I have Thielen 12, and I actually have Diggs 15. I just kind of like the Edelman um, upside, and then I have T.Y. Hilton in that range too. But, Scott, Thielen and Diggs, you know, 
have you ever seen this before? You know, we have these guys back to back just outside the top 12. I mean, you know, how much can we count on these guys or, or one or the other going to take away from each other? You know, the biggest concern about both of these guys is the fact that they just want to run the ball. They want to play defense and run the ball with Dalvin Cook there in Minnesota. Filippo was basically run out of Minnesota because of how much he wanted to pass there with Kirk Cousins. So uh, I think that's the big concern that keeps both of these guys you know, outside of that that wide receiver one, but it's it's not it's not by much. I am a huge Diggs fan, but it's if one of these guys was on a different team and it was just one of them out there running, they would definitely be in that that wide receiver one category for me. For me personally, I tend to lean towards Diggs. I just think that Stefan Diggs is the most talented route runner in the NFL right now at this point in time. Um, I, I like his game. Uh, the receptions and volume has been there. I think he's going to work a little bit more. The volume's not there for this team as a whole. It, you have to question who who's it going to come from. You saw Adam Thielen kind of slow down towards the end of the year. He is a little bit older than Diggs, and I just think Diggs overall is a, a better talent. But you know, last year PPR, Thielen was the wide receiver seven, Diggs was the eleven, so they both have the wide receiver upside. It's just some concern with one having 149 targets and other and having 153. If you lose, say, 20 targets apiece, like where is that going to finish? And it kind of pushes them on the backside of that wide receiver one area for me. Now we saw last year um, Thielen found the end zone nine times. Who do you think has, um, if you had to guess, who do you think has has more upside in the uh, touchdown slash red zone department? I'm actually going to go with Diggs. I mean, Diggs had nine touchdowns last year. So the the place where Thielen was killing it last year is he was just more consistent. I, I want to say through the, the first 11 weeks, he was the wide receiver one on the season. Just he broke out of the gate and didn't slow down until you hit that final home stretch. So that's where it's concerning but i mean at 102 tar 102 receptions and 113 receptions for each of these guys Thielen had a little bit better yardage than what Diggs had but look you're nitpicking between these two guys at this point in time it, it just go whichever one you you favor Diggs is a little bit better value as far as adp goes he's he's getting drafted later but you can't go wrong with either one of these guys as a wide receiver too on your team i almost feel like it's a situation where you just kind of see which one dro- uh, drops further. But, uh, I mean, the kind of the way that these drafts are unfolding is that they're kind of going together. Um, you know, it just kind of blows my mind that we can have these two wide receivers finish so closely. Um, so, Scott, I know I've heard mentioned um, that Thielen is kind of a better run blocker. Do you think if they run the ball more, you're going to see Thielen on the field more? Or do you think they're just going to keep Diggs and Thielen on the field kind of at all times? Look, I, I think they're both going to be on the field. The, the real question is is what they're going to do in that, that third wide receiver in that slot area. And look, the, the rookie tight end and Irv Smith has been looking good in preseason. So I think you can see a lot of two tight end, two wide receiver sets this year uh, there in, uh, in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook getting a lot of the run. So I, I don't really see either one of them coming off the field unless it's like specific packages but i don't have any concerns with uh the amount of of snaps that either one of these guys is going to end up seeing snap counts are my personal favorite thing to look for in the preseason i don't know i don't know about you scott um ty hilton number 12 we're gonna start hitting these guys individually scott you have ty at 11 so does kilby 
I have TY14. I think I'll, I'll kind of come out and say I'm nervous about Luck, but I'm also nervous about kind of TY's inconsistencies. I feel like, you know, we look at TY, and I think it's just he's kind of all over the place. You look at last year with a healthy Luck. I mean, 1,200, 1,300 yards, 76 catches in 14 games, which is pretty incredible because I feel like, you know, you, we didn't see that last year. I feel like it wasn't that much of a stat put up, but T.Y. did that. And I'm just kind of nervous about the inconsistencies. Um, I feel like in standard, he's a little bit of a better guy because I think he's going to haul in a lot more yards. I think he's got 1,500-yard upside um, with limited catches because he's going to he's gonna demand the ball deep. Scott, you have T.Y. in that range. Are you nervous about him with Andrew Luck? Uh, you know, what are you kind of thinking if Luck isn't playing week one? Look, luck is the concern. So even when you start looking back, I, I just, uh, it, it, it worries me a little bit. And also the other thing that you have to look about, look at is there's a lot more options in Indianapolis this year. So I, I don't think that, that T Y is quite the slam dunk that, that we've had him for last year, 120 targets, 76 receptions, 1,270 yards, and, and six touchdowns. That's with a, a healthy Andrew Luck. So if Andrew Luck misses some games, I, I think you can kind of bump him down. But the other thing that we have to look at with Hilton, while he's been consistent throughout his career, he's never really had that that high touchdown, that double-digit touchdown ceiling, which can kind of hold him back. So there's definitely an argument to be made for moving him out of that wide receiver one. But when you look at it and we start looking at ADP and, and where he's going, he's going right there as the wide receiver 12, about pick 30. So that's in the middle of the third round. So if you have, hey, if you're getting T.Y. Hilton as your third wide receiver, I think that's something you can be comfortable with, with the upside and what people are projecting out of the Indianapolis Colts offense. T.Y. is saying that he's having the best training camp of his career. They say that they're, they're tracking stats in training camp i don't know if this has always been a thing saying he's caught 29 of 30 balls he feels healthy he feels great i mean scott you know when you look at ty do you think that some of his production last year was influenced by eric ebron's freak touchdown year i mean i know like you said you know ty's never really been the touchdown scorer he's uh only he scored seven touchdowns twice i was gonna say he scored only over seven touchdowns before a few times but he hasn't even done that you know he's always been a low touchdown guy do you think last year was his year to break out and Ebron just kind of held that back? Or you just think he'll just never really be that red zone option that we're used to seeing out of some of the other top 12 wide receivers? No, I just don't think he's that red zone option that, that you see. He's he's maybe a not as cons not as explosive Deshaun Jackson as when Deshaun Jackson was in his prime. And, and T.Y. is actually getting up there in age now. So I, I think he's still at the pinnacle of his career. I think he's got another good year or two to sit here as a, a wide receiver one, fringe wide receiver one, top wide receiver two um, within fantasy. Last year, yards per reception, 16.7 was good for 12th. Yards per target, he was 7th. Yards per pass route, he was 10th. So the efficiency metrics are there for what he is. You're going to get those big games out of T.Y. Hilton you know, versus some of the the – the other things that, that you see from some of these other wide receivers. But I think he's the type of guy that you have as your, your wide receiver too. And he's going to have those huge games where you're seeing 155 yards and two touchdowns like he had against Tennessee last year. You know, another game against Houston, he had 199 yards. So I, I think 
you just have to kind of pick and, and deal with some of these like 25 yard and 34 yard games that he had against Buffalo and Oakland. You know, he had another 50 yard game against Philadelphia. You, you're going to have those mixed in. And if you're one of those players that wants a little bit safer production on a week to week basis, then T.Y. Hilton might be a guy that you move down your rankings a little bit because he's going to be a bit volatile where he either has a game that puts you over the top and wins you or just kind of has that, that low range production. So it's a, it's a little bit of a boomer bust play with T.Y., but when he hits big, he hits big. Now to our wide receiver number 11, who, speaking of boomer bust, has been that for kind of a mid, the middle part of his young career, Amari Cooper Scott. We all have him in the same range here. Let's talk about Amari because I really I like him this year. Um, you know, I've always been the Amari Cooper stan. Um, you know, last year I think you know he moved to Dallas and I actually got nervous. I said, "Oh crap!" You know, I don't know if this is going to be great, but he looked awesome. He made this real connection with uh, Dak Prescott over there, and we saw him really go ballistic. I, I think people remember the uh, I think it was uh, I believe it was Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Thirteen catches for 217 yards, three touchdowns. The dude had a 50-point fantasy outburst in PPR leagues. Scott, he looked great. We have him in the same range. He's battling some plantar fascia right now, which really actually has me nervous because I don't really like messing with plantar fascia. I think it's really a serious injury in, in football and basketball players. He also had a heel sprain. Scott, for starters, let's start there. Are you nervous about these uh, little injuries that he's having in training camp? Yeah, anything to do with a foot when you have a wide receiver who has to really plant and put weight on that 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 foot and, and make their cuts, that's concerning. So I really worry about that from the standpoint of last year, Amari Cooper finished seventh as far as target separation. He had 1.71 yards of target separation per, per target. So when I look at that, is that going to keep him from being able to plant properly and create that separation of, of what we're looking at? I also think one of the things that's being overlooked is that Michael Gallup is has been having a phenomenal camp by all reports. And I think he's a guy that can take a, a second-year jump and, and take some of the pressure off of Amari Cooper. But if, if you're at all concerned and it's just something you're going to have to pay attention to the reports coming out of Dallas's camp, I think you, you have to really look at where he's being drafted when when some of the names come up. So, And if I'm looking at it, Keenan Allen's a guy that I'm comfortable with. A lot of these other guys, but I think one of the things that Amari Cooper has on his side, I think he has double-digit touchdown upside, which is something I've just talked about. I don't, I don't know that T.Y. Hilton has that. He's never had that in his career. But Amari Cooper, if he's healthy, is a guy that I'm definitely comfortable with in that Dallas offense. That Dallas offense is going to run wild if Cooper is healthy in that NFC East that, that's got some struggling teams with the Giants and the Redskins. Do you think last year was a fluke, Scott? Because, I mean, you know, we see 107 targets. He caught 75 of those passes, um, or 75 of those balls, yeah. So, I mean, are, are we worried about the production from Amari, or do you think it's something that he can be as efficient as he was last year? Because we even saw in that for in that um, that last playoff game against Los Angeles, he, uh, I think he caught 10 balls um, for over 100 yards. Don't quote me on that, but I know he was over 100 yards. So he just he really looked good from start to finish with the Cowboys last year. Do you think that's something he's going to be able to keep up even if Zeke does come back? You know, provided that he's healthy, I'm completely comfortable with him. He was amazing coming out of Alabama, had over a 40% dominator rating there coming out of college. He's a great route runner. 
aside from 2017, he's been over a thousand yards and in that six or seven touchdown range every single year. So I just think it was a case of him not being used properly there with, uh, with Gruden and, and, and that offense over the first part of the season. But you saw games last year where he had over 200 yards receiving. I know I personally took an L on that week in multiple leagues, just because he was in the, he was on the rosters of the other teams that I was playing. So, I think Dallas is tuned in on how they want to use Cooper. I think he has a great rapport with Dak Prescott. And no, not at all do I think it was just a fluke. Fantastic. Now we're going to move on from Mari Cooper. Next to a guy who I've always really had a thing for, I think I just really like defending players that I get passionate about. Keenan Allen is someone who I've always really enjoyed, Scott. I think you look you look at his early career and it was labeled by Injuries, you know, Keenan Allen is injury prone, injury prone. The dude had a ruptured spleen, tore his ACL uh, during week one where he was like had like nine catches at halftime. Like Keenan Allen, in my opinion, you said digs, which it's fair, totally a, a fair argument. I personally think Keenan Allen is the best route runner in the NFL, but that's apples to apples. I'm sure you'd agree that Keenan Allen is a great route runner. Scott, we have him right in this range. Is, is he also a, a safe play as, as long as he's healthy? Yeah, for me, just being tied to Phillip Rivers and that offense, that's a that's a team that really played well last year. And, and like you said, you're you're really splitting hairs. Keenan Allen's one of the best route runners in the NFL. And I think he, along with the other guys, you're talking about Mike Williams and Hunter Henry, I think they're all gonna have solid years this year. I actually think Hunter Henry coming back. I don't think that it's going to take away. I actually think it's going to going to take some pressure off of Keenan Allen. The only concerning thing is that he may not be the first look in the red zone for Phillip Rivers. Hunter Henry's very good in that, that area. So is Mike Williams. So it, looking at things, I think he's about as safe as you can get. Uh, he got the, the injury label, but we're, we're talking about ruptured spleens and, and things like that. Those are fluke injuries that, you know, aren't, it's not a soft tissue injury that, that keeps reoccurring. So Keenan Allen's a guy I definitely like, especially being attached there to, to Phillip Rivers and that offense. And let's, let's face it, you know, there, there's not a lot of great defenses over there in, in that AFC West. So uh, I think Keenan Allen's a guy that's going to, going to have a phenomenal year. Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last season combined for about 120 targets. So, you know, let's assume that Melvin holds out. So let's assume that Eckler is going to take those targets. So let's assume Eckler gets 70 targets. That's There's going to be some missing targets. So you think this Melvin Gordon holdout could really only help that kind of group of Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, and Mike Williams? I, I think the Melvin Gordon holdout, I, I think even with Justin Jackson and, and Austin Eckler there, I think that they're going to be a more passing-centric team. Like I, I just talked about Hunter Henry coming back, but what you're really looking for out of a guy like Keenan Allen is volume. So two years ago in 2017, he had 159 targets. Last year, he had 136 targets. What you're looking at in a top 12 receiver is 130 plus targets. So sitting there in that 135 range, if he can get an extra 15 to 20, that's just going to push him further up the charts. I don't really think we have much to say about Keenan Allen. I mean, we have him 10th, um, you know, kind of take him in that range of Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and Amari Cooper, T.Y. Hilton. So in that range, um, you know, I like Keenan Allen 10th. So I'm cool with that. So let's move on to Antonio Brown. I'm sure we have a lot of opinions on this. We all have him ranked ninth right now. I mean, we went over his stats a little bit earlier. Antonio Brown has been 
on a historic stretch over the last six seasons. Um, I, you know, I look at the tape and I'm almost like, how the hell does he do it? Because I look at someone like OBJ, Julio, and I see these guys and I'm like, they are way more talented than Antonio Brown. Yet somehow Antonio Brown does some freak shit. Last year we saw him kind of go above and beyond the touchdowns, which made it seem kind of fluky, but nonetheless still 100 receptions. Scott, you mentioned the downgrade from Big Ben to Derek Carr. You know, how are you feeling about Antonio Brown? You have him ranked ninth, but are you taking him as wide receiver nine, or are you just kind of hoping he gets drafted so you don't have to choose between him and Allen? For me, I'm looking at him at the late end of the third round. If he's there, I think he's going to be of value. Other than that, I think you're going to have some touchdown regression. I just don't think there's any way he moves from Pittsburgh and and goes over to Oakland with, with Carr and, and doesn't see touchdown regression. Some of his efficiency metrics are, are also down. But look, I, Antonio Brown's one of the greatest wide receivers since Jerry Rice. It's hard to bet against the guy, but at, at, at this age, at this point in his career, moving to Oakland – all of the headaches that are going on, you just wonder how hungry he is. You had the meltdown last year. It didn't seem like a lot of his teammates were coming to his defense and, you know, with the whole thing that went down. So it just concerns me if Antonio Brown's really all about football at this stage in career. And if things start going bad, you know, right now he's gotten a lot of leeway from, from the Oakland Raiders. But if things start going bad, this team starts losing. Would you be surprised if Antonio Brown just quits on the team, just starts mailing it in, and isn't being the, the wide receiver that he's been in the past? You've seen him walk away multiple times from the team over the, over this helmet issue. And he, he just lost last week in arbitration, and now he's filing a new, you know, a new issue with the, with the helmet. So... He's trying to say he didn't get a full year. When's it going to come to an end? Today, supposedly, he practiced. So it'll be interesting to see. It's just for my money, I would much rather go ahead and take some of these other guys. Mike Evans is right here in that range. I'm much more comfortable with him and, and what he's done and being a, a younger, productive receiver. It's just why deal with the headache if you don't have to? Scott, my kind of thing to you is, in my opinion, Uh, Again, I I know we've seen the craziness with Brown lately. We've also seen what he can do on the field. So, you know, where do you weigh this thing? I know you're high on Josh Jacobs, but, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think that there is a possibility that, number one, Oakland's going to be behind in most of their games. I don't really like their defense right now. And I feel like if Brown's healthy, I feel like they're going to have to lean on him in the offense. So do you see it uh, as a possibility that Brown is, you know, whether you like it or not, is going to have to be the focal point of this offense, which, again, targets equals fantasy points. So, I mean, do you just kind of see a way where Antonio Brown just really falls face first into top wide receiver production? I definitely project him to have 150 targets, and and we talked about draft capital, and that's what you're paying for when when you're drafting a guy this high. It's just we've seen wide receivers. We talked about Allen Robinson, some of these other wide receivers. When they sit, switch teams, there is regression that happens. So I think when you pay for Antonio Brown at his current ADP and where he's going, I think you have to bake in that you're going to see a different Antonio Brown from a statistical standpoint. And I think there's a, a big downgrade from Roethlisberger to Carr. 
and we start talking about Antonio Brown last year, he's not great at contested catches. Last year, he had 28 targets and only five reception on contested catches. That's 17.9% rate. That's not what you see out of normal top 24 wide receivers. So that's very low. I mean, the lowest of all top 25 wide receivers that I'm actually sitting here looking at. So that's a little bit of a concern. I think he'll definitely be the focal point. But like I said, how motivated is Antonio Brown right now? You know, with everything that's going on, all the red flags, switching teams, going to car, new offense, I, I just, I'm not bought in on Antonio Brown. I think next year, at this point in time, when we're having this conversation, I don't even know that Antonio Brown's going to be a, a top 12 wide receiver. Fair enough. Now, you know, <laughs> We have three through nine, actually three through ten ranked the exact same. So there's not going to be a lot of disagreeing on our ends. So I'll kind of ask you questions when we go over these guys. So let's go to Mike Evans. We both have number eight. Um, You know, explain to everybody why you have him here. And look, we love Chris Godwin, but, you know, kind of give the case for Mike Evans still being able to produce alongside Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard. Look, Mike Evans is going to get his, you know, he hasn't had a year. His rookie season was the least amount of targets he had sitting at 123. So he's there over 135 targets. If Godwin does produce, I think there's a situation where you can see Mike Evans having less focus on him. And I think he can put up and have a more efficient season. He's had over a thousand yards every year of his career. So there's consistency there. He's had two years where he's had double digit touchdowns with 12 in each of those years. Last year he had getting those downfield targets. And if Chris Godwin can sit there and produce out of the slot, it's going to cause problems for teams. I'm bought into Bruce Arians and the way he calls his, his offenses and, and throws the ball downfield. I'm bought in. You you swayed me to move Jameis up the ranks a bit, so I know you're high on him. And really, when we start looking after, you're going to have O.J. Howard, who's probably going to be the, the the third option in that offense. We have guys sitting there vying for the wide receiver three position, which is Brashad Perryman and Justin Watson. Both of them, you can make a case for maybe a deeper dart throw um, if things break right, but Look, I, I think it's going to be a two-headed monster for the most part. O.J. Howard's kind of coming off of a little bit of injury. So it'll be interesting to see how things work. But I think Mike Evans is among the safest guys that you have up here, maybe right outside of uh, Michael Thomas. I mean, you know what you're going to get from a consistency standpoint with him. I couldn't agree more, Scott. Tyreek Hill, number seven. I like Tyreek Hill this year. Um, you know, I, I think... This is one of the, um, I don't know about you, but this is one of the guys who I look at a lot differently in PPR versus standard. I think in a standard league, I'm actually inclined to have Hill above OBJ and Michael Thomas. I just think that the um, the yardage and the um, the touchdowns upside is there. You know, I don't see him as a lock to get, you know, 80-plus receptions. So we have Tyreek Hill there. Um, Scott, what are you thinking about Tyreek Hill? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a freak. He's going to be... Probably the second option that offense. I mean, it's almost like a one A one B thing. I just I think it's hard to believe that Travis Kelsey won't be the number one passing option in that offense. But nonetheless, Tyreek Hill is there. He's going to produce. Scott, you know, he's clear now. He's out of the out of the blue with all his issues. I mean, 
you know, what is there what is there else to say about Tyreek Hill? I mean, I'm trying to find things to ask you. And I just feel like there's really there's really nothing else to say about Tyreek Hill. Look, we just talked about Mike Evans, and uh, when you start looking at yards per reception, Mike Evans had 17.7, and Tyreek Hill is just a notch below him, finished fourth at, at 17. I think Hill offers everything that you're looking for in a wide receiver. Off the field, not my favorite person with some of the concerns you have there, but you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, who's the hottest quarterback in the NFL right now. You have Andy Reid as a, as the play caller there. I think you know what you're getting with this offense, and I, I think – Tyreek Hill, while he'll have some some games where, you know, you have a little bit of concern because with the volatility, but I mean, twelve touchdowns. He's got the touchdown upside. You know, he he has the big plays. He's gonna put up monster games. Last year against the Rams, which was the game of the year for me, you sat there and watched him put up two hundred and fifteen yards on fourteen catches with two touchdowns. He is a threat to take it to the house anytime he gets the ball. He had a game against New England, 142 yards, three touchdowns. So you know what you're getting with him. And, and really, when we start looking at the downside, he had one bad game against Oakland where he only put up 13 yards on, on six targets for one reception. But other than that, he's con- pretty consistent across the board. You're not going to have a ton of duds. But when he goes off, he's going to go off. So... I just I like what he he has to bring in an Andy Reid offense. He's a little bit more volatile than some of these other guys, but I think you know what you're getting with Tyreek Hill at this standpoint. Scott, an interesting question for you that you know we haven't really even talked about on these um, position previews or on our podcast at all. This may be interesting, but I'd love to hear your opinion on it because I play in a keeper league uh, where we give out bonuses for. 40-plus yard touchdowns and 100-yard games. I'm keeping Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, So in leagues where that is becoming more popular, you see these bonuses come in for these guys who make big plays, boosting Tyreek up in your rankings because he's kind of that big play threat. Yeah, the, the Scott Fishbowl this year, I actually got sniped, and Tyreek Hill was picked one pick before me. And uh, he was actually going later than what you would expect because we were drafting during a time where it was still – cloudy as to what the suspension system was uh, it was still cloudy with what the suspension situation was going to be with Tyreek Hill during the offseason and off the field issues but if you play in one of these bonus yardage leagues where you're hitting bonuses for 100 yards or 150 yards Tyreek Hill definitely moves up because he has huge games so we start talking about it and you know last year just counting he had what one two three, four, five, 500 yard games. And in those games, he went over 125, four out of the five games. So we're talking 169, 142, 215, 139. And look, when he has those big yardage games, there's touchdowns attached to that. So you're talking about 30 plus point games in some of these PPR games. And that's the type of production when you get on a week, that's what's going to push you above your opponents and give you that cushion that you need to win your games. So our sixth wide receiver um, is probably, you know, I'm a big Michael Thomas fan. So that's my Saints fandom bleeding out of me. But look, my other favorite athlete probably in the NFL is Odell Beckham Jr. I love OBJ. He goes back to his LSU days, you know, local high school product out here in New Orleans. So I got some love for him, Scott. We've seen what Odell can do in a full season. 
you know, year two in the NFL, uh, 15 games played, which wasn't even a full season, but he put up 96 and 1,400 with 13 touchdowns. In 2016, he put up 100 catches for 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. Scott, the guy is a freak. He's broken NFL records, you know, at least pacing-wise. He made some comments today about how he felt like it was a, it was a, it was a, it was like a, it was almost like a martyr. He, not that he was a martyr, but he was just, he felt like it was a joke. New York traded him to Cleveland because they thought it was kind of like a go rot in hell type thing. But look, the tables have turned. OBJ is now in one of the most, you know, hyped up offenses I can remember in recent memory. Scott, why shouldn't we expect Odell Beckham Jr. if he plays 16 games to not be wide receiver one. Look, it's definitely an argument. And in years past, you you saw OBJ getting drafted as the wide receiver one, wide receiver two, usually right after Antonio Brown. And that was with Eli Manning. And, and look, I've watched the film. I've watched Eli Manning just flat out not throw it to OBJ when he was open because Manning's at a point in his career where he can't make those throws anymore. You've got a young Brett Favre down there in Baker Mayfield who's ready to sling it and is full of bravado. And look, the city of Cleveland and fans and even the fantasy football community is all in on the Cleveland Browns this year. And I think uh, Odell Beckham, who is motivated and quite frankly pissed off because he thinks the trade was absolutely personal, uh, I think getting him where you're getting him, you're actually probably getting a little bit of a discount on Odell at this point in time, getting him as a wide receiver six where we have him slotted. Some people in some drafts, you might see it differ a little bit. But I, I think the important thing to say, we talked about Tyreek Hill. I think there's a there's a split here within these first six wide receivers. I, I think the the top six is a, a clear tier. I think that second tier starts with, with Tyreek Hill and, and goes down to to maybe T.Y. Hilton, and then a new tier starts with Adam Thielen and Diggs. So for me, the top six guys are all guys that I think you can consider in the first round, especially if you're drafting on the back end of the first round. Look, if I come out of a draft with Michael Thomas and Odell Beckham, I'm ecstatic. If I come out of a draft with any of these guys from DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, and we'll talk about Juju and Julio here in a second, but I think you know what you're getting. You're getting everything baked into it. So you have the consistency. You're going to get 135 to 150 targets with double-digit touchdown upside and consistent, high-performing, high-octane offenses. And most of these guys are attached to good quarterbacks. So I think from a realm of safety, I'm actually more comfortable with some of these wide receivers than some of the running backs that you're seeing go here and we're talking about the Nick Chubbs and Le'Veon Bells and David Johnson's and some of these guys. I, I think there's a case for any of these guys after you take away the top four running backs and you can maybe even argue about the situation with Zeke, but from DeAndre Hopkins to Odell Beckham, the top six, they have to be considered in that first round. Just some food for thought for you guys. Odell Beckham Jr., Points per game in his career in PPR twenty and a half, and I, 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 that might you might that might sound like a lot, but then you're like, okay, that's not a lot. He's still like, there's other guys. No one in his range have, has scored more than nineteen fantasy points per game for their career. So that that's per game. So that's that's you know including injuries and stuff. So Julio's at nineteen, Antonio Brown's at seventeen. You know DeAndre Hopkins is at seventeen. So Odell, when he is on the field. He's proven that he is a top fantasy option, and 
again, we're seeing him with potentially the best quarterback he's ever played with in an offense that's going to be high octane. I think Odell Beckham Jr., I think we're going to talk about him in a minute. I think coming out of your drafts with Juju Smith-Schuster and Odell or Odell and Julio, I think is just, it's something that could really, really just, you know, send your fantasy team ablaze. Um, you know, let's go into our next guy, Scott. I think we could talk about OBJ all day. Michael Thomas, I know you, you, I'm hoping you've come around on him. I feel like you've never been a fan of MT. I got the jersey. I rock it when I can. I love the dude. I love everything he brings to the game. Scott, in PPR, he's obviously going to be a boss. In standard, I'm a little nervous. I think there's a lot of red zone threats in New Orleans between AK and Jared Cook that can take away from Michael Thomas. So I'm a little nervous from a standard point of view, but Michael Thomas, PPR, he seems like a shoe in for 100 plus catches. Um, you know, what are you nervous about with Michael Thomas? Is there anything that kind of scares you? Is it Jared Cook? Is it AK? Yeah, I'm not at this point in time. I'm not uh, concerned about Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is a guy that coming out of the draft. I look, I'm not ashamed to say it. I missed on him. And the reason why I missed on him is because it, it's just so hard to evaluate some of these players up there in that Ohio state offense. And you don't have a good, a good quarterback situation up there with most of them, especially when Thomas is coming out, he just wasn't utilized in a proper way to, to see the ability that, that he had. So, you know, like I said, I missed on him. I, I didn't think that he would do what he did. Even, even when going to New Orleans, I still was undervaluing him. And you, you start looking at what he did, you know, he, he, as far as contested catches, he's up there. He's one of the top, finished sixth last year. I think his his catch rate is is close to ninety percent. So we know about Drew Brees' accuracy. Michael Thomas can run all the routes, even with Jared Cook coming there. I'm not concerned about anything being taken away from uh, Michael Thomas. I think he's still going to get his. So I, I think you can pencil him in for easy thirteen hundred yards and ten touchdown upside. So you, you look at what he's done, and and we start talking about early on careers and. He's one of those guys that, that you can sit there and say has rivaled Odell Beckham to start his career. So, you know, from a rookie standpoint on, he started off with 1,137 yards and nine touchdowns. And each of the last two years, he's, he's been close to 150 targets. So I think that is money in the bank. So you get him at the end of round one. You, if you get him as your wide receiver two to start the second round, I, th- I think you're doing well. It's... <laughs> And I wish we could disagree more, but we just really can't. I think we agree on these guys. And look, you mentioned it. Michael Thomas has beaten out Odell Beckham Jr. on first three seasons receptions. I mean, uh, Michael Thomas is just a freak. And I think, look, I think we talk about the upside of Odell Beckham Jr. I think Thomas, you know, his, he had nine touchdowns last year. I think there's a possibility for more. So, you know, high-powered offense, you know, the upside's there for Michael Thomas for sure. And I think the floor is incredibly high too. So that's why I like Michael Thomas and PPR as one of the safest guys you can draft, um, you know, in my opinion. I think there's no doubt that Thomas is going to be, provide you with, you know, good stability, stay on the field. He's going to be a guy who's going to catch over 95 catches, probably flirt with 105, honestly. I think he's honestly a shoe in for 100, but I didn't really feel ballsy enough to say that. Um, well, look, looking, one of the other things I want to add about Michael yeah. Thomas, and, and you start talking about how consistent he is, last year, you just look at how, how the Saints used him. Devontae Adams was number one as far as red zone targets with 31, and Michael Thomas was right there at second, tied with Juju Smith-Schuster at 29. So 
that's what you want. You want somebody who's getting the ball in scoring situations and attached to that Saints offense with Drew Brees, he's going to get the opportunity and volume in the red zone that you need to put up the production to win games. For sure. Now let's go to someone who never gets utilized in the red zone. And if he did get utilized in the red zone, he would probably be wide receiver one for the rest of his life until he retires. That's Julio Jones out in Atlanta, Scott. Um, you know, what do we want to say about Julio? I feel like he's been staying on the field a little bit more the last few years. Um, you know, he's a freak on a talent level. He's it, it's between me, but, you know, between OBJ and and Hopkins, you know, my opinion is it's right there with Julio as well. Scott, you know, what is the downside to Julio? Are we nervous about Calvin Ridley touching into his uh, his targets or, you know, is, is Julio pretty safe? I think Julio is as safe as you can you can get. I mean, if we start talking about wide receivers that have that upside to go ahead and hit 2,000 yards, he's one of the guys that can do it. You know, Calvin Ridley has performed well as a, as a rookie. I think a lot of people have him penciled in for a, a second-year breakout, and we might get to that a little bit later. But I think, look, when you start factoring it in, Julio's been over, what, 1,400 yards each of the last three years, what, actually each of the last five years. So I, I think you have that one year there in 2017 and one other year in 2013 where he had two and three touchdowns. But the eight touchdown range is where I expect him with 1,500 yards. I think you know what you're getting out of Julio at this point in time. I don't think Calvin Ridley is going to dip into his numbers a, a whole lot. I think, if anything, Calvin Ridley helps take some of the pressure off. You saw Ridley actually get a lot of touchdowns last year. I think Ridley may be due for some regression, and I think some of those touchdowns can swing Julio's way, and you may be able to see him dip in and, and get double-digit touchdowns this year. I like Matt Ryan a lot. I think Matt Ryan... <laughs> He was so overshadowed last year just because of what Mahomes did. So he probably had the most quiet quarterback two season that that I can remember in fantasy football. And he's look, I'm seeing Matt Ryan go in the ninth and tenth round in some drafts. So when you start factoring in where Mahomes is going, uh, I think Atlanta set up to have a good year. And, and so is Matt Ryan. He's going to do it on the backs of Julio Jones. Another thing I like to point out about Julio is just. You know, when he stays on the field, he's efficient. I mean, you're looking at, you know, his career yards per target is about 9.9, and he's really stayed in that range his whole career. He's just an incredibly efficient receiver, and he's one of the best that we've seen on a talent level in the history of the NFL. So I think you look at Julio, and it's just kind of a freak athlete that um, really deserves more light shed on him. If he can just find the freaking end zone, you know, I think we'd be able to praise Julio a little bit more. Yeah, and look at it. I mean, last year he had 10 games over 100 yards. 10. And then he had another one against New Orleans four yards away. So you're talking about basically 11 games where you're hitting 100 yards. Anybody in their right mind who has any argument against that type of production is just crazy. I don't know what else you can expect from a fantasy player. I mean, eight touchdowns, what are we really complaining about? Two? Two more touchdowns? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the touchdowns, I mean, you know, that's why I was pointing it out. You know, I feel like if the dude was more of a red zone threat, he would literally be a wide receiver one forever because he always puts up the yardage. He put up 1680 last year, and that included two games last year where, no lie, the dude had 46 yards combined in those two games. He had 18 yards against Baltimore um, in week 13, and then week 16 he put up 28 yards. So, I mean, imagine if he had normal Julio games. The dude would have flirted with 1,900 yards. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, Julio is is a freak, and, you know, do not be scared off of him. I feel like it's kind of just a 
pick your pick your favorite player in this range. So let's go to number three with my favorite player this year. I'm drafting in fantasy leagues because I feel like where I have him ranked, I'm getting him. I'm always getting him. If I'm drafting in that kind of in the eighth, twelfth pick, I'm always going to get a Juju Smith Schuster because I feel like he's going to come around to me even. So Scott, we have him ranked third. Kilby's got him six. He's not on here to defend that, but Juju Smith Schuster. Scott, where do you want to start with this guy? Because I feel like the sky's the limit for Juju this year in this offense that is missing Antonio Brown. Look, I think the main place to start is 225 vacated targets within there you go. offense. So there you go. I think when you start talking about what you're going to get out of, out of Juju, he's still going to get his out of the slot. I, I think you're going to see James Washington on one side. You'll see Dante Moncrief on the other side and Juju is going to continue to operate the same way. So they're going to have to respect Juju. Even if you have a little bit of an efficiency dip with Antonio Brown leaving, like I said, I think that will be more than suffice and taken care of with the target increase. 225 vacated targets is all you need to know. And I think even last year what he had like a, I think 160 something targets. I forget exactly how many he had, but either way, look, I'm all in on Juju. I'm right there with you. And he's actually one of the wide receivers that I see the most dropping out of the first round. So if you're at that 11 and 12 turn and you come away with Juju, by all means, take it to the house, go ahead and and, and push that button as fast as you can. If you see him there in, in the second round. You know, I kind of get mad. You know, this is why, you know, we think a lot, Scott. And, you know, um, I just, man, uh, I want to talk about those targets. I think, you know, you mentioning that, that's the key thing. I, I think, you know, we look in, in fantasy, when you're evaluating players, like you said, it's opportunity is king, right? You know, we have to see, you know, if he's getting targets, he's going to produce, especially in PPR leagues. And look, I'll say it right now. I see Juju Smith-Schuster with 120-plus catch upside. I see him flirting with the record. I really do not see a way that Juju does not average at least 10 catches a game. I mean, I just I don't see how it's not possible. Well, and, and not even to project him to take all of that. Let's just look at last year. So he had 166 targets last year. If you just give him 25 of the 225 that have been vacated, that's going to put him at 191 targets. There's not anybody else that's even close. Uh, I mean, Julio Jones had 170 last year. So if, if we see somebody with 191 targets, especially when we're talking about Juju getting them out of the, the slot, I, I think 120, 120 catches, 125 catches. I mean, Mike Thomas had 125 last year. I think you could see him at 130 catches. So I, I think there is there is a real chance that, Juju Smith-Schuster finishes as the wide receiver one this year in fantasy football. I, I, I can't agree anymore. I'm, I'm trying to get so much Juju Smith-Schuster. I love him, and I can't get enough of him. You know, I got a, I got a message, a DM from someone the other day asking me to rank these wide receivers for him because he's got a draft coming up, and I told him, Juju, take him at the end of the first. And he was like, what? It's like, man, I just I, I think just people need to be educated. Juju is going to go off this year. That's really all I have to say about that. So... Our last two guys, it's really the consensus one and two in fantasy worlds right now. Scott, we'll start here. So number two is Devontae Adams, but let's just get right into it. I have him two. You have him one. I mean, there's really not much of a fight to go on about it. But how about this? You give me your reasoning for having Devontae Adams over DeAndre Hopkins, who has really looked 
unguardable the last two years. Look, for me, I'm really just splitting hairs this year. And, and what it boiled down to for me when I started looking at things is I just think that DeAndre Hopkins has a little bit more talent there with Will Fuller and, and Kiki Kuti than what Devontae Adams has to deal with over in uh, Green Bay. And I talked about it a little earlier, 31 targets in the red zone. I think confidence is a big deal with Aaron Rodgers, and he has all the confidence in the world in Devontae Adams. And I just think you're going to continue to see the targets go his way, especially when they count in the red zone. Uh, I know we're, we're all pretty high on, on Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, and, and some people are also high on, on Geronimo Allison, but I, I think this offense will continue to operate and function with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And you look at what, Ad, what, what Rodgers did last year, it was a down season for him playing injured the majority of the year. So I think Aaron Rodgers has a bounce back year at this point in his career, especially this year. I'm a little bit higher on him than some people, and I think that's also going to factor into to Devontae Adams. So, I mean, look, flip a coin. If you like Hopkins, take Hopkins. If you like Adams, take it. Adams. I can't argue either way. I mean, I, at one point I had Hopkins number one. It's just over last week or so that I kind of switched to Adams. But I, I really, I still draft Hopkins sometimes first over Adams. So it's just how I feel at the, the time of draft uh, as to what I'm going to do. I like Adams more in standard, if that means anything. I think the touchdown upside is is there. I think we've seen Adams over the last three years, it's something that people, I don't know if people realize, Adams has had double-digit touchdowns last three years. You know, we were just talking about T.Y. Hilton, how he's never been above seven. Well, Adams has averaged about 11 and a half last three years. So the red zone opportunities are there for Adams. I don't see that getting away from him. Um, so I think in standard leagues, I'd go Adams over Hopkins, honestly. So I like that there. I think, look, like you said, there's, you're splitting hairs. So let's go to DeAndre Hopkins, Scott. Um you know, I like Hopkins and PPR. He's a freak. Um, I just, I don't really have much to say about him besides we saw last year that he really looked like the most dominant receiver in football. He's got a great quarterback. He's got a quarterback who, in my opinion, had some some unlu- uh, unlucky, um, you know, touchdown luck last year. And I think it, it, he could be someone who could go above that. I think we saw Hopkins with 11 touchdowns last year. He can go past that. You saw 115 catches, which which does seem like a lot. Scott, I mean, it's splitting hairs, like you said. Um, you know, I think just the thing we need to echo is the concern in Texas. Um, is it just that Kiki QT, Will Fuller can take away from Hopkins, and then you add in Duke Johnson? So is that really just the concern we have with Hopkins? Yeah, for me, I, I just think there's a little bit more competition there with Hopkins. But you start talking about Hopkins, he's third last year in air yards, and then he's still getting 25 red zone you know, targets, 20 of the red zone targets that he got were actually in the end zone. So Hopkins is catching the ball all over the field. He's getting the high efficient, high value targets deep. He's getting the, you know, the, the easy ones over the middle. He catches the ball and operates as an all around full functioning wide receiver. He does it all. So he's going to beat you with speed. He's going to beat you with route running. He's going to make contested catches. So He's just there, there's not much that you can have. I, I think there's a, a good argument there that he is the most well-rounded and maybe the best wide receiver taking over, you know, that that crown from Antonio Brown right now. So 
I don't think you can really argue it. Uh, I actually think there there is argument that Deshaun Watson could be the the quarterback one this year. I think you're going to see some regression from Patrick Mahomes. But look, if you get the opportunity to to draft Hopkins and you can go ahead later in the, in your draft and and stack him with Deshaun Watson, I think you're going to have a very good year if you can just put a little bit of the talent around the rest of your team but that stack is going to win you some games and that's going to do it for our rankings at wide receiver it's going to actually conclude all our uh, our ranking shows kind of a it took a little while but we're glad that we can get it to you guys so before we wrap up our show as a whole we're going to dive into a few key players that we want to look at individually again so um our favorite wide receiver outside the top 12, I'll get this going, Scott. I like Calvin Ridley this year. I think, you know, you look at his stats last year, and it was kind of almost fluky in the fact that he scored 10 touchdowns. Again, that's more than T.Y. Hilton's ever scored in his career, so that's kind of insane. Calvin Ridley had that three-game stretch last year where he put up six touchdowns. So Calvin Ridley, he didn't he didn't uh, record a catch uh, on opening night last year. I mean, the guy still played 16 games, finished with about 64 catches, 820 yards. I like Ridley. I think this year, I think you're going to see a little bit more of a, of a refined, of a refined guy kind of coming into his own. I think you see Julio Jones out there is going to get his, obviously. But look, Calvin had a year under his belt. He looked good. He looked impressive. Matt Ryan kind of built a connection with him. You saw him kind of fade towards the middle of the year, but then he picked it back up. You know, towards the end of the year, he caught a touchdown in week 16 and 17. You know, I just really like that wide receiver two upside over there in an offense that seems to key in on the pass a lot with Matt Ryan. So, Scott, I love Cal- Calvin Ridley this year outside the top 12. I've I've actually completed a few drafts already this year, and I've gotten Calvin Ridley in two of them. So I really like Ridley. So do you think kind of where he's going, you can kind of get that upside, especially if Julio Jones goes down? Yeah, I think uh, you're definitely – getting value for for Calvin Ridley I think at this point even though he was a little bit older prospect coming out of college you saw what he can do last year he's attached to a high functioning offense with Matt Ryan at quarterback and he doesn't have to burden the load so I think he'll continue to function and, and put up you know really good numbers I know, I know Sean Siegel over at Rotoviz he's really high on, on Calvin Ridley this year and I, look if Julio goes down Ridley's going to be the number one guy, and that volume and that ceiling can definitely raise. So I, I think he's a, a good target where he's going. And, you know, I think that you start looking at things and people in this range, and he's definitely a guy that, that I would go ahead and bet on. Now your turn, Scott. Talk to us. Who who you like in this uh, kind of in this little uh, hypothetical? So I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm going with a second-year guy, and we talked about him earlier. I have him ranked 19th, and that's DJ Moore. The interesting thing with DJ Moore is that his ADP is about the same. So he's going at pick 60 as wide receiver 25 in PPR drafts. He's going as pick 60 as wide receiver 26 in standard scoring. So I think you can uh, go ahead and pencil him in no matter where you're drafting, what type of league you're drafting in. If you can get him at the end of the fifth round, early sixth round, which is right where that ADP is, I think you're getting a value. Um, if, if 
you need to be won over and go read any of the articles on him. He is a Rotoviz darling this year for the 2019 season, and he's a young ascending wide receiver. I think you're going to see him more than uh, pay dividends, and I think he's a great player to go ahead and target that can outperform his ADP, and I think he has top 15 wide receiver upside. We talked about some of these other guys like, like T.Y. Hilton, who's got you know a, a few concerns dealing with uh, – with Andrew Luck and and look those those three guys that they have outside you know over in Los Angeles in the Rams offense, one of them isn't going to perform up to standards. So whether it's Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, or or Cooper Cup, I think there's some room there with uh, DJ Moore and, and Calvin Ridley too to to move up the finishes. And I, I think you can see those guys anywhere from 15 to 20 at, at the end of the year and. DJ Moore's a guy that I'm banking on to do it. I think uh, he's a, a, a cheap target to go ahead and, and get that type of production. And look, in the second year is when you see most of these wide receivers go ahead and make that big jump. And I think that's what you'll see out of DJ Moore this year. Talk to us, Scott. Who's your, uh, who is your expected breakout in this top 35 range if you had to pick one? If I had to pick one, it, I mean, it's going to be DJ Moore's the one that I, I, I think is going to break out. But look, I, I just want to kind of circle back to Allen Robinson. We saw him put up 14 touchdowns and 1,400 yards in Jacksonville with uh, Blake Bortles. Now, look, you, you can go ahead and call Mitch Trubisky the Blake Bortles of the Midwest, and I'm not necessarily going to argue with you, but I think within that offense and within the, the – the talent that Allen Robinson has, I think you're going to go ahead and get a value out of him. I think he's going to go ahead and, and have that thousand yard season. We're talking about these, these wide receivers in the, in the top 10 and kind of that top five or six group. I'm not going to say that that's what he's going to do, but we've seen the year and we've seen the upside out of him. So once I start getting down there and outside of the, you know, the, the top 20 wide receivers, you start looking like who has that high ceiling and if Allen Robinson can do that in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles, he has a history of it. And Jacob Rickerode's a, a good friend of mine. I, I really buy into to what he does and, and kind of his philosophies that wide receivers that produce top 24 seasons tend to continue on and reproduce and, and have those repeats. So I'm looking for that type of season out of Allen Robinson. I, I think he can flirt with double-digit touchdowns and have over 1,000 yards. I think it's I think it's it's an interesting pick for sure. I think you know I think a lot of people especially in these redraft leagues are going to be scared off from Allen Robinson. So it's good to hear you pick someone like that to kind of peg as your breakout. I'm you know I I think when you, we talk breakouts I really like you know I key in on Chris Godwin. Um I don't want to go there because I think that's too much of the industry norm. I think if you're if you, if you don't want to write a fantasy article for a night and you want to talk breakouts, you're just going to put Chris Godwin in there. It's like the easy answer, right? So I'm going to go different, and I'm going to go really stupid with this because I think it's almost stupid. I'm, I'm kind of like laughing at myself for thinking this, but again, it's just where I have him ranked. I'm really just <laughs> – I'm intrigued by Sammy Watkins. I hate saying it. I really do, but I just – I think, you know, again, we talk about opportunity. Um, it's going to be him versus Hill versus Kelsey um, for targets. But I just think in an offense like that, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be someone who's going to return value. Um, you know, it kind of de- it's going to depend on where he's going in drafts. I've seen him drop in drafts, but I've also seen him kind of go kind of high in drafts. 
So that kind of stinks. But look, I like Watkins this year. I think opportunity is king. I've said it a few times, and I think he could get his. You know, um, staying healthy is going to be the thing. I mean, the guy's 26, but he's an older 26, man. I mean, we've seen the foot injuries. We've seen the hamstring injury and injuries. So it's just a lot going on with Watkins. But look, I like him to really break out this year. I think if he is healthy, I'd be shocked if he doesn't really put up some numbers. I mean, you know, last year we saw him, you know, he only put up 40 catches in 15 games, but to my knowledge, he only played in 11 games. So he was on a, he was on a, he was kind of on a decent pace to really flirt with, you know, at least kind of around 60 catches in a thousand, which, you know, would have been a good year. He actually played in 10 games last year. So that's my fault. Um, so I just, I really like what we saw to Watkins last year. And I think, it's possible that he could break out. I mean, I'm not going to tie him into an injury, but of course, if Tyreek Hill goes down, you're looking at a potential top 15 wide receiver if he's on the field. So I like Sammy Watkins. I'm a little nervous by Hartman out there, but look, I like Sammy Watkins where he's going, and I think he could be someone who you could draft as your wide receiver three and kind of be happy with it, especially in leagues where you're starting a flex and two wide receivers. Um, So kind of leading into busts, um, we talked about him on our first ever show, Scott. I hate Tyler Lockett. You kind of like like him, but you also kind of like look at it and you want to puke when you see it. So Tyler Lockett, man, I just we can talk about this together if you want. We talked about it. Tyler Lockett did some of the most unsustainable shit I've ever seen in my life. I mean, just obnoxious numbers last year, Scott. People are overdrafting him. You know, what do you have to say about Tyler Lockett? I mean, all I all I really have to add into it is that, you know, just it was incredibly unsustainable, right? Yeah, I think from an efficiency standpoint, it was just ridiculous what he's done, and especially how small he is with his contested catch rate, especially down the field. But I think with the news that came out this week of DK Metcalf having surgery, he's going to miss some time at the start of the year. DK is not a guy that I've really been high on, but it, I just think even with the regression, Tyler Lockett is going to regress. There's no way he's going to repeat the efficiency numbers that he did last year. That being said, I think I've just kind of settled that he's a wide receiver too, and he's going to make up for the efficiency with volume because there's not anybody there past, say, David Moore. I think Jerron Brown's kind of getting some some run here and there. And they have Jennings, the the rookie out of, out of West Virginia. There, there's just not a lot there that inspires a whole lot of confidence. I think another reason why I'm kind of settling and leaving him there as a, as a wide receiver too, is that the Seattle offense is not, I mean, excuse me, the Seattle defense is not what it's been in years past. And I think they're just flat out going to have to pass the ball. You know, in week two, Arizona, their offense didn't look as, as good as what everybody expects. But if, if they produce and then the Rams are out there throwing up offense I think Seattle's just going to have to pass the ball more than what they did. I don't think they're going to be able to re- reproduce the the same run-heavy offense that they did. I think uh, necessity is going to force them to pass the ball, and that's going to lead to Lockett getting the volume. So is now the time to talk about my favorite undrafted free agent and Jazz Ferguson? Go for it. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> I love what I've seen out of Jazz, but that's just kind of a joke, you know, but – um. Look, I mean, we saw last year, I mean, you know, 81% catch rate out of Tyler Lockett. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I just, I don't see it, man. I, I get what you're talking about on defense, the defensive side of things. I'm just nervous, man. I, I think I think we see, we're looking at a team who could, again, finish dead last in pass attempts. And, I mean, again, that's going to 
that's maybe going to kind of determine on that defense. But we've also, look, I'd like to knock Pete Carroll, but, you know, we see a Seahawks team that is always fighting for games and they're always kind of staying in games and having decent seasons. So, you know, I, I don't really see Seattle deviating from that kind of pass light run heavy type uh, type of way of playing. And I just, I don't know if I see it with Tyler Lockett. I just, I'm not there with him and I think it could be a bust. So do you have a bust in mind, Scott, or is it, um, is it someone like Tyler Lockett or kind of let's hear it? You know, I, I hate to continue shitting on a guy because he's <laughs> maybe the best wide receiver since Jerry Rice. I just I, I cannot get on board with Antonio Brown. I, I can't bring myself to to draft him when he's floating past me. Like I said, it would probably take a a nice round to round and a half discount for me to go ahead and do it. But you you talk about the 15 touchdowns last year. I think you're going to see some regression there. But I, I just think there's a lot of red flags with Antonio Brown going to Oakland, playing in a new offense. He hasn't. He hasn't really done shit there in training camp because he hasn't practiced. So you're not going to see a whole lot of, of just chemistry between him and Carr. Uh, and look, I'll say it. I'm not on board with Gruden. I, I think the game to an extent has passed John Gruden by. So I, I don't think that Antonio Brown is going to. I just don't. I, there's a lot of red flags there. So I think from a logical standpoint, as I follow the breadcrumbs, the helmet issues, the feet, not playing on training camp, the whole headache that hard knocks has to be, new team, new quarterback. And I think all of those situations are downgrades from the situation that he's coming from. And not to mention that the Raiders, I think, can simply implode this year. Hard knocks hasn't been good to any of these teams, really. I'm just not on board with Antonio Brown. He's not somebody that I'm going to push my chips in on. And we, we talk about it all the time. It's not often that, you know, first pick within the first three rounds is going to going to win you your league. But if you miss and it doesn't go right, it can definitely lose you your league. And I just think he's the most dangerous guy that's in that range that I'm willing to miss on. Whew, man, it's going to be the Antonio Brown. This is the year of the holdouts in Antonio Brown. It's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out. And I think, you know, it's the way fantasy football evolves, man. I think we're going to see what happens this year, and then we're going to move it over to next year. We're going to look at pre, pre-Madonna wide receivers and, and these running back holdouts. So it's going to be an ever-changing thing. And look, hopefully uh, AB can produce to what he's been doing. You know, I'd love to see it because if he's producing what he's been doing, he's going for a steal. So, Scott, that's going to kind of wrap it up for our wide receiver rankings and all our all of our positional rankings um, for this season. It's been a wild ride, Scott. You know, what are you looking forward to next? You know, what, what do you think we're touching on next uh, on next episode? Well, yeah, we went ahead and, and did a mock draft. We did a, a PPR mock draft, so uh, we had a lot of guys come through, and we tried to mix it in and, and have some guys in from the industry and. and have some radio personalities and have some guys from a few other leagues that we uh, play in to give you a mix of different looks of, of how teams can kind of form throughout a, a draft process. And, you know, I've looked over the draft. It's not the way I would normally draft, but there were just some breaks in, in, in the way the draft fell that led me to draft some of the people I did. So I think next episode we'll go ahead and break down that mock draft. We'll talk about some of the guys we hit on, maybe some of the guys we missed on, and how we would change uh, our draft and uh, kind of give people uh, some 
things that they can look out for in their own draft and ways that they can pivot and let the draft come to them. And uh, so I'm kind of interested to go through that and see who we think has the best team out of our mock draft and uh, listen to you tell me how much I uh, screwed up and, and drafted Derrick Henry, even though I got him as the running back 27 in this particular draft. So I think that's more than value there, but you're still going to find a way to shit on Derrick Henry. So we'll just have to see how inventive you are and find new ways to do that next uh, next show, which I think what we're going to try to get that to come out Friday. Yeah, we'll be on a Friday uh, release for that. Um, I do have Derrick Henry ranked as RB27, so... Not not a bad value there, Scott. Um, lastly, tell these people where they can find you at. Yeah, you could find me at SSmithFF um, on Twitter. You can also interact with the show at the Four Downs Pod. Uh, we love answering any questions. We love arguing our points back and forth. So if you disagree with us, tell us why you disagree and, and see if you can go ahead and sway our opinions. And maybe if uh, you can't sway ours, maybe we'll sway yours. And uh, we're always open to answer any questions. And if you've got a question, send it into the show. We'll try to answer it on the pod. Um, go ahead and Try to listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere that you can find us. And if you listen and enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review. Try to help us grow. Retweet, tweet. We always appreciate the feedback. And uh, I'm just glad to go ahead and get this season rolling. I have my home league draft on Friday. So I'm pretty pumped up to go ahead and uh, get some skin in the game and get it going. And yes, Scott, you just said it perfectly. I think just it's just so awesome to kind of get back into this fantasy groove uh you know over the next few weeks fantasy drafts are going to be happening non-stop for all of us so again i'm andrew sherry you can follow me at andrew wxxv on twitter and again feel free to interact with any of us on our personal pages as well so until next time we're out
sister, so I guess you want the vibe. I've been rolling on the freeway, I've been fighting 85. I've been thinking way too much, and I'm way too gonna drive. I got anger in my chest, I got millions on my mind, and you didn't fit the picture, so I guess you want the vibe. Uh, dig what I'm saying, Janelle drapes on me daily, dig. Uh, dig what I'm saying, she looks like she's sponsored by Mercedes, dig. Dig what I'm saying, this creek alone is on me, baby, dig. Dig what I'm saying, I'm going hard, hard, yeah. I fall bubbly in your memory, in your memory. You should be glad I'm showing you sympathy, showing you sympathy. I gave you real love out the gutter, out the gutter. Ever let you go, you gon' suffer, you gon' suffer from it. I gon' through with grippers and some shotters. I gotta accept that I'm a monster. I pull up in several different options. Not all, but most of them came topless. I shattered your dreams with this cream I make. Cream I make. What? Gotta be on Codeine to think of shit I say. Shit I say. What? What? I can't feel my toes, but they gon' fold up. Fold up. I was in the club law when I rolled when I rolled when I rolled. Yeah. L.O.V. on my right leg. Now nah, injuries overload, you did what I'm I feel like I should be giving up. You can't leave it, it's too much. But I'm tired of you leading me on. I don't lie. Where this shit is going And I've been stuck in all your apologies 